0: You're listening to Oh
1: Yoshi yeah, did it
0: podcast with Yoshi Obayashi and Lilith Arvati. Don't
1: you ever, oh, be sad. Lean on me when times get bad. When the day comes and I know you're down
2: in a river of trouble, you better try. Hi everyone, this is Yoshi, and I'm here with Lilith. And um, this is really exciting for me because I'm in Hollywood Hills with my uh, very good friend and somebody I respect and admire for her work. And um, it's, it's, (laughs) I keep saying Ava. I'm sorry, but you prefer Eva, um, obviously. You want to.
3: It's Eva, but I quite like Ava, so we can do Ava.
2: Okay. Thanks, Ava owner. Just think of Um, Summer's Eve. Okay, Eve. (laughs) Eva. (laughs) Um, Nice to have you, Eva. Hi. I, I, this is really um, surprising for me because I watched an Oscar in 2008 expecting Michael Moore to win documentary um, for Oscar in 2008 and um, I, w- I wish you I would have known you were going to win because I would have put money in Vegas but um,
3: <laughs> so would we <laughs> but uh,
2: she won Oscar for um, Taxi to Dark Side um, amazing documentary and I want everyone to watch it it's a wonderful work I mean it's it's a very sad story and um tragic in many ways and um it's um american practice of torture in Iraq in Afghanistan and Guantanamo Bay and um it's kind of goofy and i think i think a lot of young people watch 24 thinking it's okay to torture people but uh, it was a very serious and beautiful work and uh it really moved me but i, I didn't think i would meet you and uh just through m- many of our mutual friends i met you like maybe 2 years ago yeah yeah and Lilith and I, we flew to Texas, Austin, Texas, with well, South by Southwest recently. We saw uh, her wonderful work, The Network. Amazing movie. I really enjoyed it. And uh, there was not even a second I was worried that it's going to be bad. And uh, it's, 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 it's a <laughs> it's, um, terrific film about our good friend, Sam Hosseini. Um, you talk about someone who, you know, businessmen and businesswomen get such a bad rap last four or five years, but he really is, entrepreneur, business person, helping his country and uh, Patriot, you know, and he didn't have to do it, so I want to talk more about that, but um, thanks for doing the podcast, I know you're very busy, you've been very sick, and um, uh, you, you you look great today, um, so, uh, yes,
0: you look very lovely, <laughs> oh, thanks, guys,
2: <laughs> I, I know you were in <laughs> Afghanistan and everything, you got sick, so th- thanks for doing the podcast, but before we talk about your movies, um, I, I, I just want to know more, like, where you grew up and uh, how did you get into documentary business and so on? Yeah,
3: sure. I'm. I'm. Um, you can tell from my crazy accent. I'm from Australia, mm-hmm. although my fading accent. <laughs> mm-hmm. I grew up in Melbourne. Okay. Um, I've been in the states for eight years. I lived in New York for four years. So I've been here for about oh five years. So maybe I've been here for nine years. Um. Yeah. I grew up in Melbourne, and um, how did I get into docs? You know, I I was kind of brought up in a fairly
0: May I ask what brought well, you to America?
3: Yes. Oh God. Uh, love.
0: <laughs> oh. oh. Big mistake. <laughs> that never works out. Yeah. And, and the
3: craziest part of it is—it's actually a pretty crazy story, and I don't tell a lot of people, but I'll tell you because you're friends. But um, I actually had met somebody, and he was an environmental architect. And what does that mean? He—he he was making sort of eco, environmentally uh, friendly I kind see. of stuff. He was li- working in um. He was working in Colorado in Telluride and Aspen and doing some amazing stuff, and there was this kind of boom in the Florida Panhandle, and so he went down there for a bunch of work. And I, insanely, agreed to go down there with him. And so I moved to America at the age of 34, with like two suitcases. I got I packed How up. How did you life. meet him first of all? I met him here just randomly when I was traveling, and oh. we just sort of stayed in touch. And time went by, and we kind of were into each other. And I just thought. I think this could be my guy. Yeah. I packed I think I was looking for an excuse to come to America, quite frankly, and he <laughs> yeah. was a catalyst. But I packed up my life at the age of thirty four, moved to Appalachicola, Population like, you know, three hundred and seventy two or something. Wow. Like right on the border of Ab- Alabama oh. and Florida. Oh I'm Not sorry. A, <laughs> that was <a> <laughs> introduction. <laughs> and here's the thing, I was it lasted about two weeks. It was actually really terrible. He got very sick.
2: Was it worse than Afghanistan?
3: No, (laughs) it was actually lovely and charming, but just not for me. But he got very sick; the whole relationship fell apart, and I ended up going to New York. And within two weeks of you moving to the states, yeah, yeah, it was beyond. It was an epic disaster. It was just so bad. But I ended up in New York and kind of hit the pavement. And I I, slightly better. Yeah, I had a work visa, and I was determined to stay. And um, you know, after a few months there, I, I met Alex Gibney. The, d- the documentary legend and he was looking for a producer and I had a lot of experience and we started working together. It was kind of crazy. Wow. It wasn't as easy as it sounded. I had a couple of really bad months. I spent a bit of time in New York crying and being devastated and it was pretty tough. But Did you have
0: any friends up there?
3: Yeah, I had like four or five people that I knew and I called them all and said, this is very bad, I'm in bad shape. Call me, take me out, invite me to things. Oh. <laughs> I'm lonely.
2: <laughs> but you, uh, for those of you who don't know Alex Gibney, he, he's... It's it's kind of like if you're a stand-up comic, you just happen to move to L.A. and you become friends with Richard Pryor. Yeah. <laughs> no, I'm I'm serious. That's a great analogy. I mean, I, yes. whenever whenever I see two people in documentary with both financial reward and uh, uh, critical acclaim, it's Michael Moore and Alex.
3: Yeah.
2: Is there anybody bigger than those two? I mean, I, Errol
3: Morris. Oh. Okay. Werner, Werner Herzog. I mean, there's you know Morgan Spurlock. I mean, yeah. there's a handful of people, but. And it's growing, but you know, Alex is one of one of the definitely one of the big guys in darks.
2: And I love the stuff he does for thirty for thirty for ESPN too. Yeah, yeah, um.
0: he's a big sports fan. Did you know who he was when you met him?
3: Yeah, it was so weird. I was pounding the pavement looking for work in New York, and the first job I had, which is weird too, now that I'm friends with Tom Preston, and my first gig I got in New York was like it was like a comedy show. It was oh god, this is sad actually. It was for um
1: Every, everything related oh to comedy, is sad. It was an
3: MTV <laughs> pilot for um Greg greg giraldo yes who, oh who passed he away died. yeah, yeah. we i worked on it i was like a producer wait on that's how
2: you met tom first no
3: no i'm just saying it's so weird how worlds collide because yeah. now i know tom so my first job in new york was um was doing this this pilot for greg like this comedy pilot which was so not what i do um well how did
2: you meet greg i mean
3: i i met someone who was producing it and they said oh you know god you've got all this experience do you want to come and work on it i was pretty desperate for work <laughs> i think they saw it in my face and then through somebody else, I met this guy called, um, um, oh, gosh, what's his name? I can't think of his name, but he's, he turns out he's, he's uh, Alex's brother-in-law, Charlie Debervoice. He's, he's, he's a reality, a huge reality TV producer. And reality was just starting then. It was very, very new, and yeah. I had no reality experience. And so I met Charlie, He was making all this, you know, re- following real estate agents kind of shows in Florida and all this, you know, pretty basic sort of basic cable reality stuff. We had a meeting and he was looking at my resume, which was full of sort of pretty highbrow documentary stuff. Right. And I remember him saying to me, oh, I don't know, Evie, your, CV is fanta- your resume is fantastic, but you're way too highbrow. And I was so desperate. I remember saying, oh, Tali, I can do lowbrow. I can so do lowbrow. <laughs> and he said, you know who might be interested to meet you is my brother-in-law, Alex Gibney. He's looking for a producer. He just made this film called Enron. Wow. <laughs> <I can't> <laughs> wow. <laughs> which was Alex's, and it sounds kind of crazy, which was Alex's... Directorial debut for Peter right. Doc. He was just, you know, he was he wasn't sort of as massive then as he is now, and may, may I interrupt yeah. for a second?
2: It, it just shows when you're young, attractive, blonde women
0: <laughs> with a very highbrow, impressive resume. Let's not forget you that know, who worked her ass it's off. It's interesting. Yoshi.
2: It, it's it's um.
0: You don't have to attribute. No, anything. no, I mean it's
2: just like you're very personable, likable, and, and, and attract those <laughs> kinds of people. But I guess I'm just a creepy because I. Attract yeah. a lot of weirdos, in, you know, um, but that's just amazing.
3: Oh, I attract a lot of weirdos. <laughs> well,
2: well, yeah, me, you right here. The people yeah. I date. <laughs> but that's just amazing. The people that you met. I mean. Yeah,
3: I. I mean, honestly, you know, it happened over many, many months. But it was this, you know, it was it was very lucky. I remember, honestly, it was eight or nine years ago, and I remember meeting Charlie, and I remember. Him saying, you know, you should meet my, my brother-in-law. And I remember at the time, such a silly anecdote, but he picked up his Blackberry. And I remember thinking, oh, fancy, here's a Blackberry. Because yeah. I really knew and I didn't have one. And he emails Alex. And Alex emails back. He's in Houston premiering Enron. And he says, oh, yeah, get her details. I'll, I'll meet her next week. <gasps> and so I met Alex and like two weeks later I started. Wow. It was great. And he was looking for someone with a lot of experience, who had also done uh, scripted, which I had done a lot of scripted in Australia right. as well, and and we started, and we I think we did five films over two years together.
0: It was great. What was it like working with him?
3: It was great. I mean, it grew very quickly. When I started, there was just him and an assistant, and when I left, there was probably like 15 people working there, and now there's probably like 30 people working there. I mean, you know, they crank out a lot of programming. It was great. I learned a lot. It was my first work in America, which was, you know, slightly different. Yeah. um, Bigger projects in terms of docs, multi projects. It was great. You know, traveled a lot. Amazing. It was amazing. And, you know, it all culminated with us, you know, winning an Oscar together, which was just extraordinary. Oh, my God. Yeah.
2: This is such a great. Winning an Oscar Uh, for uh, uh,
0: Taxi Driver to the Dark. Yeah, yeah,
3: exactly. And we won an Emmy for it. And, I mean, it, it won tons of awards and it really, you know, established Alex as a very big documentary filmmaker and for me it was just a great a great start to my american career you know i'm super grateful well
2: what what did you learn from him because i know he's a giant (sighs) in that field.
3: gosh what did i learn from him you know he's i think it's i learned a lot about storytelling i learned a lot about really persevering if you want something yeah you know the the thing with docs are you, you know you're always trying to get people to agree to talk yeah and you know I'll, when we talk about the network my new film you know I'll tell you that when I first spoke to Saad you know he told me no he didn't want to do the film <laughs> oh wow so you know so much Alex the star is, of the film exactly <laughs> I mean Alex is very very he's incredibly hard-working he's so smart I mean God he's just so much smarter than me I,
2: it's, uh, so one of the key is getting the trust right I mean if yeah, only, uh, yeah
3: although I was always really good at that and he always used to he'd quite often push me and sort of go, you talk to them, you go charm them. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm pretty good at, that's one of my skills. I know I'm pretty, I can talk people into stuff, you know, and turn on the charm if I have to.
2: I, I remember years ago when Diane Sawyer worked for Henry Kissinger, and whenever they have to give him bad news, all the intern and uh, um, staff will ask her because she was the prettiest one, because <laughs> he's inclined not to scream and yell at someone. So, yeah, yeah. Uh, that. I mean, no,
3: I'm not really as blow. cute as her, she's gorgeous. <laughs> but no, there's definitely something you, you, yeah, I'm just trying to think what else. Alex is, he's just, he's very, very smart. So I learned a lot from him intellectually, watching him work. And I think he's really good at juggling a lot and getting a lot done. And he's actually also very good at delegating, which is a real skill.
1: Mm.
2: Which involves, once again, trusting the people that are working.
3: Yeah, which I struggle with sometimes, you know. I always, that's a real struggle with something you really care about and with relationships you're really nurturing. You have to really trust people to, to do things with your name, using your name. He was great. We had an amazing time together and, you know, did some, you know, I mean, to Making Taxi was a hard film to make. You know, it was traumatic. <laughs> um, it was kind of nice making the, the Hunter S. Thompson film at the same time. Gonzo, even though he died compared to Taxi the Dark Side, it was quite light, so it was sort of nice bouncing between the two projects
2: so uh, what was the origin of that you know the taxi to dark side
3: taxi came i mean it came through Alex talking with some of his friends who actually invested in the film and i mean you know it was i guess it was around two thousand and five that it all the seed of it started, and it was you know it was all around that time when when uh, Abu Ghraib was happening in Guantanamo and you know George Bush was you know at his peak post nine eleven and
2: can you give me the give the listener a basic summary of the movie? Yeah, yeah. sure.
3: So Taxi the Dark Side is really it's a critical look at the Bush administration the Bush administration's torture policies post 9/11. So we really look at things like, you know, the atrocities that were committed rule of law in America and yes. how that was undermined uh, the people behind it, you know, things like the torture memos that came out of the government. And really, how the Bush administration perverted the rule of law after 9/11 to Mm -hmm. go after the so-called terrorists, and you know, (laughs) the the war against terror and the axis of evil, and it was really we made it at a time when things like a democratic government and Obama or Hillary or anyone like that there was no there was no light at the end of the tunnel. We were just in this dark time, and you know, the cover of Time magazine with Abu Ghraib and the atrocities that were committed there, and it was just it was such a horrible time to be in America. This was all around, I think, two thousand and five when yeah. we started talking about it, and we really made it in, I think, two thousand and five, two thousand and six and seven, I guess it was, or two thousand and five, six. But um, it came out in two thousand and seven. Um, it was just a very, very dark, difficult time, and I think it was the discussions that Alex had had with some of his friends were really about how, during the Vietnam War, you know, people were on the streets protesting and. <laughs> Where, you know, all this stuff was on the cover of the New York Times, it was on the cover of Time magazine, and, and people were talking about it at dinner parties in New York. But where were the people on the streets? And there were protests, but there just wasn't that level of public outrage anymore and i think that's where it started it was like we've got to make a film about this and you know no one came on board to finance it. we started with private money from wealthy mm-hmm. left-leaning new yorkers who mm-hmm. gave us money and later people like the bbc came on board hbo came on board you know late, much much later but for the bulk of the of the production we didn't have anyone that wanted to touch it because you know it was a dark time and i think people were kind of scared Yeah.
2: I I, I think one of my this is my theory, but getting rid of the draft really changed things. Because Mm. if if you have family member forced to serve, you're more inclined to care because you have you know someone serving. But when it's voluntary, I think I don't know. I think maybe back in the head, people think, well, they volunteer, you know. So I think the fact that they're not forced to go to fight, I think maybe people are less inclined to care. I think
3: I think that's really tricky. And I think part of the problem is the people that volunteer are generally people from poor places yeah. with very little opportunity, no education. Most yes. of them come from the South. Um, when you think about politicians who have kids that go to war, it's generally Democrats, not Republicans, other yes. than other than Sarah Palin's the only one I can think of. Um, you know, from the evil side. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I, I wouldn't even call her a politician, but um uh, she's an <laughs> idiot. But uh, but I yeah I, yeah there's this definite disconnect about people going to war and about the consequences of war and it's funny just this week I just two nights ago I just saw Sebastian Junger's new film about Tim Hetherington the photojournalist who was killed in Libya. Oh yeah. And they made the film Restrepo, which is mm-hmm. a great war film. It's you know I don't know if you've seen. Our it. good
2: friend Jonathan Branson took me to premiere of that movie two years ago, and I think a few months before he was killed. And uh, oh. yeah and. um, um his name is Sebastian uh, Sebastian Junger I think he, I read someplace he even think twice about doing stuff like that he doesn't not, do it anymore I yeah, just, because he's yeah. married he's got kids I he's think. married right.
3: he's got a kid and he he after Tim died he said I'm not going to do it anymore and yeah. he's been a really, he's like a really hardened war reporter and he's also you know I guess he's over 50 now and there comes a point when I think you have to sort of say it's probably best for me not to do this anymore because I take too many risks because I've been doing it for too long yeah. but I was talking to him about Afghanistan two nights ago uh, in LA and you know, I, th- I just I think films like that are so important because they really humanize war and they make it very immediate to you. And I think it's good for people to see that before we go into countries and invade. Yeah. And and that's partly part of the rationale behind the film I made in Afghanistan. I feel like you know, if politicians see this film, and we'll, obviously we'll get to talking about it. It's about media and the power of media in in countries. It's just incredible what you can do with media as opposed to war. For sure. Yeah,
0: and I think it's very important. Well, it's, it's, it's quite acor- incredible what media does for us. To convince us to go to war. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's its own little. Yeah. Like, yeah. Which I think had a lot to do with the, the Iraq thing.
2: Yeah, I, I, I couldn't imagine how scary for you guys to make that movie because at the time it seems like Bush was so powerful. <laughs> and <laughs> and like, it almost seems like yeah. you're, you're un American if you criticize him. Were you, know? you
0: at all afraid of. Because, I mean, th- there's what is that, the, the NDAA or before that, the Patriot Act or one of those things where, like, if if you do things like yeah. this, you're considered a terrorist. Like, we could have been tried for treason. Yeah, exactly. It wasn't
3: that bad, but we were aware that, you know, I when when the phone tapping scandal came out, we all knew our phones were being tapped because people knew we were making the film. We were talking to ex-Guantanamo detainees. Mm-hmm. The big joke at the what? time was that I was just on a work visa. I didn't even have my green card then, and I was travelling a lot, and I, I was always really scared that I'd just disappear at an yeah. airport. And I remember saying, like, Alex, if I disappear find me don't (laughs) don't let me just i was actually sometimes like just a little nervous that i would just feel this you know hand on my shoulder and i'd never be seen again you know and i didn't think it would really happen but i was aware and i remember joking about it with people on the phone you know when i talked to friends and family in australia i'd say yeah, our phones are probably tapped they're probably listening to us now it was there was just this weird kind of feeling about it um mm-hmm. but but i after i did get my green card and i think i'm going to be a citizen maybe this year so
2: oh fantastic. We're, we're
3: all good yeah. <laughs> but you know after we won the oscar one of the things that i'm known for is um one of the first things i said to the media was i said the bush administration are a bunch of war criminals yeah and that got picked up by reuters and kind of went viral and i just, it was something i'm really proud of because i just think they're the most appalling terrible people and they should all be tried and convicted and i'm really proud i said it you know you get five seconds to say something yeah
0: good for you yeah
2: in another podcast uh, that i used to be on i um we interviewed lisa ling and i remember right after 9-11 she got huge criticism because she said this is tragic and it's horrible i'm paraphrasing what she said but she said but we should ask ourselves why did they do it Did, did we give them a reason behave that way you know and then it was just a question that she mm. raised and she was attacked like being not American and she wasn't saying we deserve to get attacked not at all but um, yeah so it's, it's, re- it's really tricky when critical
0: thinking is seen as being anti-American which yeah. is just so ridiculous I mean that stigma of just you can't even think a thought outside mm. of what is told to you that is anti-american yeah. No, i, <laughs> Real, I agree you know? and that's
3: what's so great about making docs yeah. and making the kind of docs we make and and the thing is you just have to make sure your fact checking is really spot on because otherwise people are going to slap an indictment on you and you know stop the film from being seen and uh you know i think i think one of the great things about taxi is it's it's used as a training film in military academies is it um yeah yeah it's it's, it's seen very widely and 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 one of my first night actually in Afghanistan, I met um, an admiral, and who <laughs> was he was really uh, very. Don't tell sp-
2: me he made a pass on you.
3: No, God no. <laughs> <laughs> he scared the shit out of me. <laughs> mm-hmm. I, I I was introduced to him, and he was in charge of detainees, and he'd been there for oh. many years. And I was introduced to him as having been the producer on Taxi to the Dark Side, Uh-oh. and I I just I thought he was going to kill me, and instead he said, uh, "What a great film," and he said. That really helped us change policy yes in the country and 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 because of the conversation i had with him you know he invited me a few days later to come and check out their new detainee facility that had replaced bagram and you know on my third day in afghanistan i found myself on a black hawk with an admiral flying across the country going to a going to a detainee center that was filled with you know supposed taliban prisoners getting like this kind of mickey mouse tour of the place Wow. It was kind of unbelievable. That's the kind of stuff, as you know, Yoshi, that happens in Afghanistan. Oh, know? sure. <laughs>
0: the tour of Afghanistan. Yeah, it's a pretty
3: crazy
1: place.
2: I, actually, uh, as we speak, oh, since you said that, um, um, we're airing this episode on April 15th. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm landing in Afghanistan on that day, and we're releasing another episode that day. Um, that her, week. That week. We, we only released one episode, but I figure it's tax day, and we release two.
3: Should I got to do my tax? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I, I gotta send him a Two episodes.
2: Other one was Devin Ree. He was former Marine and he was member of uh, Iraqi war, wow. pressure and against war. And wow. Yeah, so we want to release this two episode. And uh, like I said, I'm really grateful you're doing this. Um, mm, of course. Um, just a couple more questions mm. from tax, and then we'll mm. jump into mm. the, the yeah. network. Um, I keep forgetting his name. Um, he is Attorney General. Uh, he was Attorney for President Bush. It was a Jung Yu? Yeah. Boy, he, um, I gotta say, <laughs> I don't like where he's coming from, but uh, did you see his interview with John Stewart? When? Uh, Daily Show. This is like a couple of years back.
3: Mm, I probably did, but I can't. I was amazed
2: him. because John Stewart is one of the smartest guy, mm. and very funny. Mm. But he was really stumped by John, uh, Mister Professor Yu because mm. he was—he's very clever. Like
3: he's a slippery sucker. I mean, he was the guy who kind of wrote the torture memos and made it all kind of legal and got around the rule of law and. You know, he's one of these guys that uses his genius and his legal knowledge for evil, not good.
1: Mm.
2: He was so slick. Like, even though I was there, like, like it was like evil Jedi mantra. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Even John Stewart had to kind of pause a second because he, he's usually good at stumping his uh, guests. Yeah. He can do it, John. That's one of the very few times I've ever yeah. seen him.
3: I mean, super smart guy, but just really, you know, responsible for one of the darkest periods. Yeah, yeah. Of this country's history, and also something I think that will plague us in war for the next 50 to 100 years, you know, because of the atrocities we've committed, other people, you know, we're fair game. That's the thing that I think is. Mm, leaves the country vulnerable. Yeah, and, the, you know, the fact that Guantanamo is still going on, and if you saw the paper today, you know, there's like tons, everyone's yeah. a hunger striking in Guantanamo. It's like, what the hell is going on? Why is this still happening? It's just appalling.
2: When, when I, um, oh, but two things. One, um, I actually took a weapon in my bag to airport. And um, I, got, I got arrested on September 11, 2003. So I was sent to um, jail for five days, LA County. And they were telling me because of uh, TSA and new policy by the president, you know, in, before 9-11, they were just taking your weapon away and sent you on, on your way to the um, flight. I was going to my cousin's funeral, and um, they were so – and it was just a stick, metal stick, uh, collapsible baton. And yeah, they were ready to send me in jail for like a year and a half, two years, and like I told him, it's honest gun mistake, Wow. My dad died like a month before that, too, so I wasn't in the right mm-hmm. frame, but um, I have a mind, but yeah they were they were serious, they were just looking for any uh, any opportunity to throw somebody in jail so I, 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 but here's the funny thing: mm-hmm. if you happen to have a handgun, they were just taking it away and uh, let you get on. At least the police told me that. I think has yeah, something. I, I I I heard something about maybe gun control. People have such a huge influence, so they're ready to send me a year in jail for collapsible baton, the metal iron stick. Wow! But the gun, they were like, "Okay, don't do it again." So yeah, it was. It, I thought it was interesting, but I was scared for that week because I didn't know what was going to happen. Um, well,
0: I think if you have a registered gun, they could at least track it or something. Um, what did you do in prison for five days?
2: I um, Make new friends? Yeah, actually, <laughs> actually I did. Um, but, it, you know, it was kind of embarrassing because this guy, you know, robbery, uh, attempted murder. <laughs> and they asked him, what did I do? And they had a stick in my bag. And, uh, so, yeah, five days in LA County. Wow. So, yeah. Um, did you
0: encounter any of that, Eva, where you saw people maybe you worked with? get arrested or detained for anything like that no that
3: nothing happened without us i mean obviously there are you know it happens to documentary filmmakers all the time i think mm-hmm. uh recently i think you know the the palestinian guy who was nominated for an oscar sort of got a bit detained at lax and michael moore stepped oh i in saw that yeah. yeah um Hopefully yeah there's, there's been a bunch of stuff happening obviously with doc filmmakers you know the the iranian filmmakers and you know mm-hmm. but no n- noth- nothing yet with any of us <laughs> Not gonna <work> that. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Although okay, my passport, i it's funny, my passport's really full. I need to get a new one and I was looking through it and um, I just thought, God, I'd, I'd look like a spy. I mean, I've been to like oh, a, yeah. in the last, like, I don't know how old it is. I guess it's like seven years old, my passport. But it's, you know, I've been to like Cuba and China and uh, I've got like three or four Afghanistan visas I've got. Um, you know, Dubai. I've got Beirut. I've, I mean, just name name a suspect country, and also because I'm Australian, and you know, I kind of look fairly innocent. I thought, oh, I look like so, this is perfect spy material. <laughs>
2: <laughs> that's what we do. We do in Afghanistan. Like when you're there and hanging out with expats, everybody says you must be spy. Like yeah. that, that's all you do. Yeah. Like everyone think you're. I'm
3: waiting for someone to call me from the CIA because I think I've got the perfect cover. You know, this whole like mm. you know, sweet face and innocent look, and then you know, I make documentaries. <laughs> it's like the perfect cover. <laughs>
2: So, um, one more question, then, so what was it like, you nominated for Oscars, so, I mean,
3: Um, it was, I mean, you know, it's really fun, it was kind of bizarre, because our film was so serious, and so, you know, quite important, and so, doing all this, you know, going to parties, and hanging out with celebrities seemed quite it just seemed quite bizarre the Mm. whole thing it was quite a weird mix and also you know when you're nominated for and you win for documentary it's not like you know you're winning for best film or best actress i mean no one knows who you are and most people don't actually care it's a part of the oscars most people don't watch (laughs) so you know it's not like you're suddenly this big famous person but you know i lived in new york and you got to we came to la and went to lots of parties and met lots of famous people and you know lots of famous people had seen our film and it was you know it was i mean you know for, for a kid from australia it was bizarre, and it was just really fun, and we were really grateful, and, you know, it's a bit of a kick having an Oscar in your house.
2: (laughs) And, and, you know, um, the listeners should know this, um, in 2008, there's two um, uh, women, Australian women were nominated, it was you and Kate Blanchett, so it must have been... it must have been thrill for your family and and for the country of australia i was a bit
3: of a celebrity for like one second in australia you know for that week i was on the front cover of all the newspapers and it was actually really fun because often in the photos on the front cover of the newspapers it would be me and alex so alex became this big celebrity in australia And i'd send my friends would send like all the all the newspapers and clips and things and i'd send them to alex and he just he loved it you know he was he was getting a lot of Coverage in Australia, yeah, you know, I did all the TV shows, and yeah. that year, you know, they would invite me out to, ho- you know, to to appear on television and you know give awards to people. I sort of was, it was a bit of a, you know, it was kind of a joke with my friends. I kept flying back to Australia all the time. It was it was great. Australia was really awesome, and and um and I remember I met Kate Blanchett for the first time the night of the Oscars, and we had a nice laugh about you know being the two Australians, and it was it was a great experience. I mean, you know, what a great thing to to be honored and on such a large scale. It was was fantastic.
0: Did did winning the Oscar um, drive you to making more serious tone documentaries? Like, was there something about that accomplishment that was solidified your your work endeavor i guess what you choose to do really
3: i think i've always done i mean i've also done some scripted stuff and some Mm -hmm. more you know i actually made a few like romantic comedies in australia (laughs) um but you know my first film when i was like 24 was a serious documentary in australia about people with disabilities and sexuality that was really successful and you know all through my career i've i think i'm kind of i always say i'm kind of nerdy you know my company's called nerdy girl films and Mm I'm kind of attracted to to things that that I think matter and yes. I like to change I don't know I you know at the end of the day we just make films let's not kid ourselves we're not changing the world but you know if you can impact one the way one person thinks or change the way one person sees something I, uh, I think uh, that's I, a big deal and and I think you know even just premiering my new film in Austin you know that was the response I got from a lot of people a lot of people said wow it really changed the way that I look at Afghanistan and I just thought you know great you know that that's something
0: Bringing awareness the way you do Mm. with your films and the type of films you make is is pretty huge. Yeah, it's 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 wonderful.
3: Yeah, you always wish you could do more. And I was just telling you earlier how you know people that appear in my films, you know, often for many years later, you're involved in their lives and you try and help them. And it's it's a good feeling. It's nice to be able to to be able to do things that matter. And it's funny. I just had to help someone from from the my latest film um, with with something, and I needed to get a clip of her from the film. And my post I rang my post house and said, "Can you just pull it and, and make a link for me, you know, charge whatever, you know, yeah. I'll just pay for it. And it was so touching. They said to me, with I told them the story behind it, you know, this woman's in trouble. She's having a hard time getting refugee status in a country and, and the post house said, Oh no, we'll do it for free. Like we'd love to help. You know, this is what we make films for. Like oh. And yeah. they all they do is big Hollywood movies and all the young guys who work in in the tape, in the sort of the, the dubbing department and everything, we're really into it. And they, they felt like they were doing something and helping someone and making yeah. a difference, and it was actually really touching for me. And I went down and talked to them all, and and they all said, "Oh, you know, we really loved the film, and it's it's amazing, and we'd love to, you know, whatever we can do to help." And I I, fe- I, fe- I felt really moved by that. Mm-hmm.
2: I think your movies change help people. Mm-hmm. I really do. I mean, well, it's because so. like <laughs> they kill
3: th- me. I end up in hospital. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I don't. I, I think it's not just. Education, inter- entertaining, but I mean, really, it really changed. Like this year's Oscar, uh, The Invisible War, I think they're really changing the well, sector. Changed policy. Yeah. yeah.
3: Kirby's film actually changed policy in the military. Yeah. And the same thing with Taxi to the Dark Side. And I think one of the things that's really great about films like Kirby's film, The Invisible War, Taxi to the Dark Side, I hope my new film, The Network, is I feel like they're time capsules. And I feel like Taxi will be. I think, um, I remember in the New York Times, um, one of the reviews said this film will probably like will be more important even in 20 years yes. as a as a record and a witness to, to a very dark period in american history and a real a real cautionary kind of tale about what never to do again because of the impact that it had and in some ways i hope the network will be the same i i think who knows what will happen in afghanistan over the next 5 10 15 years but i think this will be a real moment in time that we captured and i think it'll be very important
2: i mean i was moved because you know, most people don't spend enough time watch, reading what's going on overseas and foreign policies and things like that. And every time they see, whether in Arabs in Middle East or in Afghanistan, Central Asia, they just see, they only show the crazy, you know, burning US flag types of footage, right? You look at the victim's family, how much they love this person. Uh, I think his name was Delo. Delo. Uh, Delaware. Yeah, yeah. Sweet person. He was just a. Simple, Taxi driver,
3: uneducated.
2: Taxi driver. All he wanted is work and take care of his family, and you just feel for him and his family. You know, it was just a completely innocent person, wrong place,
3: wrong place, wrong time. Yeah. Ended up in Guantanamo. And oh. They just, tortured. and then they kicked him. They killed. They tortured him, and he died. I yeah. Mean, it, you know, it's it's unbelievable.
2: And even even as I'm, mean, I'm angry that the people who tortured them, but they were clueless. They're basically doing did their job, and in fact, people who are their leaders, commanders, none of those people are held responsible. No,
3: and it all comes from the top, and that's what the film's about. And that's what I was saying before. You know, most of the people that, en- that end up in the military, particularly low level, are, you know, people who don't have a choice. You know, they don't yeah. have education, they don't have jobs, they go into the military. I mean, these kids didn't even know what the G- Geneva Convention was. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, how could they abide by it? And they're being told to get the information by any means possible, you know, and torture was, torture was, 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 was okayed.
2: And if you watch the movie, explained that Bush basically wrote uh, a law to prevent any sort of (laughs) prosecution against them. They pardoned themselves. Yeah. And it has.
0: (laughs) It must be nice to be able to do that.
2: And (laughs) it ends with a very. Important message from Mr. Alex Gibney's father, and that yeah, that's, yeah, yeah. I, I rewatched it a couple of days ago, and I forgot about that. I so. know
3: yeah, you remember it better than I. Do. <laughs> yeah, his father had a great. His father was actually he served
2: uh, World War II and Korean War. Yeah. he was very disappointed by this. Uh, and he was administration. an interrogator. And yeah, and his
3: father got sick when we were making the film, and Alex filmed him just before he died. and, yeah. and actually, one of the, one of the nicest memories, just going back to you know Oscar night. Um, we ended up at the end of the night at Sunset Tower Hotel. You know. George Clooney had a party our good friend (laughs) George Clooney I'm totally kidding um had a party and we ended up at the Sunset Tower and Alex and I took a moment and we had a glass of champagne and my dad died gosh um I just I just we just I just commemorated his uh I think it was 13 years since my dad died and and we did a toast to our absent fathers and said you know I think they'd be proud you know and it was it was just a really moving moment for me it was something I always remember from that night it was kind of towards the end of the night and we just took a quiet moment and thought about our fathers. But no, I think his, his father had some extraordinary things to say. You yeah, know. it's... it's The other great thing about Taxi is, you know, you, you make a film and I'm kind of at that stage with the network now. Like, I can't watch it anymore. I'm about to sort of take it out to a bunch of festivals and, you know, you introduce it, you go outside, have a few drinks, you come back in the end and you do a Q&A because there just comes a point where you know every single word in a right. film and it's just hard to watch. But um, I hadn't seen Taxi for... Uh, probably like four or five years or something, like quite a long time. And when I was in Afghanistan, um, our friend Gal- Galera, you know, Galera. Oh, yeah. I, say, I, I said just Galera, Facebooked this morning. Did you say yeah. Galera or Galera?
2: I said uh, Galera.
3: Yeah, I, I'm very bad with Iranian names. <laughs> but um, she hosts screenings all the time in, uh, in Kabul and they did a screening of Taxi to the Dark Side. Oh. And I went along and I actually took my iPad because I thought, I'm just going to read, I can't bear watching it again. And I hadn't seen it for so long. I started watching and I got totally pulled into it and I was loving it. And I remember I emailed Alex live from the screening and said, he was in New York, and I said, we're doing, I sent him a photo, I took a photo of the screen, I'm like, we're doing a screening of Taxi yeah. in Kabul, and he wrote back and just said, oh my God, that's amazing. And it was really powerful for me seeing it after a long time, but also watching it in Afghanistan, like, you know, where Dilawar was from, where Bagram is based, and it was just, it was so bizarre. I never thought I'd do a screening of Taxi in Kabul. It was when really went, powerful. When I went
2: to Panjshir Valley, when you were coming back, we could see it far away, it almost looked like Vegas because of the, um distance and with the lights and everything but i just i i didn't realize why wow, it's right there that's where all the torture happened yeah and, uh, yeah and i have to say um you making you making that movie and that network and all the expat women work in afghanistan I, I i'm just amazed by you guys it's very it's such a hostile place for women you know <laughs> I, a I, i'm a man place. i get I, I, I guess i get really uncomfortable um the way they stare, women like.
3: Yeah. It's. It's it's such a it's even, it's even funny. I mean, when I was when I first met Dexter Filkins, who's in the film, uh, he's he's a writer with the New Yorker. He spent a lot of time in Afghanistan, and also I met Sebastian Junger the other night. This is my name.
2: Dexter Roda. Dexter forever war, amazing book. Yeah, book that I that's highly one of my recommend. favorite books. Yeah,
3: yeah. and um, and Sebastian Junger, who made Restrepo and now the Tim Hetherington doc. This is my name dropping version of the interview, but um. I, I, whenever I it was funny because I th- the same thing happened with Dexter but the other night Sebastian said oh how long are you in Afghanistan and I said I spent three months there and both of them said oh that's a long time mm. and it you know it's, it's a tough place I mean it's funny because there's a bunch of expats in the film who lived there for two three years and I just I don't know how they did it because boy it wears you down and what are expats Um, There's a bunch of people from other countries, like expatriates, um, who are in the film, like there's a couple of Australians, there's Germans, there's, you know, they've brought in a bunch of people to work at the TV station in Afghanistan to train people up. Mm -hmm. And I just think, you know, to live there for a couple of years is, it it takes a toll. It takes a toll on your health. You know, the air there is bad, I think. You know, you get, everyone gets very sick
0: when they're there. Yoshi said there's feces in the air.
2: Fecal matters.
0: Did I tell you that? Somebody no, told me. This. everyone tells no, me that. No, he tasted this, it. <laughs> I think it's, I'm allowed to swear on this, aren't I? There's
2: this oh, like
3: yes, please yeah. There's this bullshit fact, you know, when you land in Afghanistan, someone always tells you the air is 70% fecal matter yeah. and I remember saying, I did not even know what that means but to me it sounds like there's like a lot of shit floating around in the air yeah. but yeah. I think it's because there's a lot of open sores yeah. uh, in the streets and so it's just dirty and you it's know, dusty. I, I, family, I famously was very sick and am still having some health issues from when I was there but people will say to you here oh how did you get sick and you know anyone that's been to afghanistan it's like pick a number i mean yeah. it's from the food the air you touch something maybe a drop of water gone in your mouth i mean it's just you know it's, it's a very very dirty place yeah um yeah
2: and you age like <laughs> not, not us because we don't stay there long enough but
0: you I, never say that to a woman you usually like. no can i tell you though it, it's so true because it's
2: no, a really it's young
3: country. Know, the honestly. average age there, I think, is... I always say it's 24, but I have a feeling it's actually younger because the life expectancy is low. Um, a lot of suicide in women there, yeah. yeah? I don't know. I actually don't even know about that. I'm sure there is. But, the, the, you yes. know, it's a young—it's a really young country. Yes. But it's also a country with really bad nutrition, really bad... no You know, virtually no health care compared to what we're used to. And, you know, people die a lot. But also, you know, there's... You know, people aren't using moisturiser on a a more (laughs) superficial level. I mean, people age really badly there. And I'm 43. And when I would tell some of the, you know, I call them the kids who work at the TV station because they're all in their 20s and I'm so old. And it's not in a patronising way. We just all call them the kids because they're kids. But when they found out, I was like over 40. Their faces, you would see these kids, their face. They just didn't understand it because A, I was older than their parents and their parents probably looked like 75. Yes. Because their parents had them when they were like 16 to 20. Wow. And they would just look at me. And then, then, and then there would be the whole, are you married? And I'd be like, no. Do you have <gasps> children? No. And they just couldn't get it Why their do you heads. think
0: I look so good?
3: I don't yeah. <laughs> look that but, but more, they just couldn't get their heads around any of it. it they just wow. didn't understand it. There was
0: that woman in your film, The Network, who looked very old, who was getting her makeup done, <laughs> right? <laughs> what, and how old was she? I thought she was at least 70 or yeah, so. Yeah, I,
3: I don't know. She's one of the actresses in uh, Raza El Khanna, the, the soap opera. Um, <laughs> Um, and she looks, you know, 85. I'm guessing she's 60. Oh, she is.
0: Okay. So and so she
3: so says it. that great line because it's about Karima, the makeup artist. And she says, Karima's such a great makeup artist. She can make someone who's, in, who's 50 look 40 or something. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'll, say this, I'll say this. Uh, I don't even want to say this, but it's so funny. My, one of my editors, ref- we, you know, when you're cutting, you have to make jokes in the edit because you're in there for months and months and months and you make nicknames for people. Yeah. And her nickname was Bag of Bones. <laughs> <How funny. laughs> I probably shouldn't have said that, but we. Lo- I, I love her. She's she's great. I have some really nice um portrait photos of me with her. And oh. I call her like my Afghan grandmother. <laughs> Sweet, Yeah, but she had some serious wrinkles.
0: But it seems like a lot of the people in Afghanistan, or the, the ones you're working with at least, uh, have a good sense of humor.
3: Yeah. yeah. I Gosh, they're just...
2: They're wonderful people.
3: They're so resilient. They're so warm. And mm-hmm. everyone says this. I mean, every book that you read, everyone always talks about Afghan hospitality and the warmth. And I always marveled at them because honestly if i'd grown up with 30 years of war i would be in a really fucking bad mood and i wouldn't be nice and i wouldn't be i would be angry and pissed off and they're not you know i keep getting these emails you know doing a lot of press for the film lately and i i send it to everyone who's been in the film and they all write back and they're very polite with their language and it's always you know eva john dear eva and um, oh we say John too yeah meetings. exactly yeah. but they're just very you know we're so proud of you we're so grateful you came to our country you know they're just they're, and it makes me feel so guilty because it's like this tiny little thing that I do and then I get to come back to my nice life and you know it's, it's one of the tricks of what we do I mean journalists have to go through that all the time and I always ask them you know how do you deal with this you know do you do therapy it's, it's a lot of guilt because you go to these places you know you share these people's lives and then you go back to your healthcare and you're a nice house and yeah, you know, and you know that they're struggling, but they're so. Everyone's incredibly warm.
2: Oh, for sure. You know,
3: really well. These are. It's just. It's a real. It's a nice culture. It's just. You know. It's sort of like half the country is. You know, full of these great people, and then half the country is full of these sort of. You know, fundamental, religious maniacs, <laughs> and it's. It's really sad.
2: I I remember um going to the. APL Amer- uh, Afghan Premier League mm-hmm. uh, and I went to the second game overall
3: this is soccer right yeah mm-hmm.
2: and any fans of sports in America knows there's always whether it's football baseball basketball there's going to be fight or somebody's going to call your mother name you know just it's just, <laughs> <it's> just <laughs> not rude, in Afghanistan rude mean they, yeah. there's fights yeah. especially in football and baseball yeah. you see fights all yeah. the time it's the first time I'm 43 <laughs> first time in my life where everyone loved it they didn't care who wins they were just starting me for oh, entertainment Yeah, and uh, one other day I, I was mm. in a section where uh, family section because women are not allowed to sit with men I guess so I was with uh, women young uh, kids these kids have they don't have anything mm. very little mm. they're all constantly tapping my shoulder and offering me candy and stuff you know mm. and um, um they what i see in media is completely different from yeah. my experience yeah. and, and that, that's
3: part of the reason you know the motivation of making the film it's just it's to show you know the people in in the film are educated They're clean. They look great. Mm -hmm. A lot of them are very attractive. Mm -hmm. A lot of them speak great English. They have jobs. You know, they're forward thinking. They want peace and prosperity. And I think that's really shocking to a great part of the audience that are going to see the film. And that's what I've gotten so far from people that have seen the film. They're just like, God, I've never, ever seen Afghanistan like this. And that's, you know, as as you say, you know, you you go to Afghanistan and you get a lot of looks from a lot of people and a lot of people don't like you and don't want you there. But there's a huge majority of people that actually – just want so I just
2: want a better life. I think taxi. The dark side was that uh, what some economists or philosophers call the hard power, where we use war to, you know, we're trying to change people through bomb and war. But I, I love America's soft power when we, hmm. you know, try to help with education, with health, and TV show and things like that. So I think I I just wish they would see more good side about uh, Western power, you know, and. Um, and this is the stuff you cover in your movie, the network. Can you give the audience, like, like maybe basic background in yeah, the movie? Yeah. How, you know, because this is your baby. This is this yeah. This
3: is after 20 years. I finally had the balls to direct a film. Yeah. Um, I don't know why it took so long. Because now I love it. <laughs> yeah. And also, I mean, when you produce, particularly in television, you do end up directing quite a lot of stuff. And I'd been directing like sort of large industrials, but I'd just never done my own film. and... And also I ended up, you know, it's its me. I mean, it was, you know, I directed, wrote and produced it and yeah. uh, I shot it with just my, it was just my DP. We had a really small crew because it's dangerous, a couple of editors, you know. It was a very small little, right. little little group of people. I mean, it all started with, um it started with my friend Sergio Flores. Um, he lives in New York, who I've known for a long time and he'd read a lot about Sard and... Uh,
2: Somersini. Yeah,
3: so he, and, and he called me in L.A. like a couple of years ago and said, have you read about this dude, Saad Massani? And and I said, yeah, I know who he is. And like, he's, he told me about a couple of things. I, you know, I Googled him and did a quick read. And obviously, you know, Saad grew up in Australia. He's Afghan. Um, he was
2: For, very for, for, for the listener who don't know who he is, he owns just about every media company in Afghanistan. And 2011, he was one of the 100 most influential people, according to Time magazine. And yeah. Rupert Murdoch actually wrote about him.
3: Yeah, and, and he's wow. often the, the best way to describe him, which he doesn't like at all, but it kind of sums him up quite well, is he's known as the Rupert Murdoch of Afghanistan. Yes. Uh, so he owns, him and his family own, started and own the biggest media company in Afghanistan. they now moved, they've now moved into other regions in the Middle East. Um, but they they were Afghans. They left when the Russians invaded. They ended up in my hometown, where they grew up in Melbourne, Australia. Um, in fact,
2: Saad's father was ambassador to Japan on exactly. behalf of Australia. Yeah.
3: Yeah. yeah, yeah, and they grew up in Japan and then came to Australia. Um, they
2: speak very good Japanese.
3: I know. I thought oh, speaks wow. great Japanese, right? Yeah,
2: Saad and his two brothers yeah. who started the company, yeah. uh, Jaheed and uh, Zad. Zad. Yeah. Well, Zad.
3: And Zad's my age, and he went to the same university as me at the same time. and was Is that right? And he's friends with a bunch of my friends, and I never knew him. And when I first started to do the film, one of my really good friends in Melbourne said, who's the film about? And I said, Saad Massani. And he went, I went to university with Zaid and he sent me a photo of him and Zaid from like 1987 with like big hair wearing yeah. Snoopy t-shirts, <laughs> which I sent to Saad and he just loved it. Yeah. And Saad knows a bunch of my friends as well. And we were like, oh my God, we used to go to the same clubs. And <laughs> um, anyway, so Zaid, you know, they've, they've completely changed the country of For Afghanistan sure. and media has been a huge force of social change. And I just thought it was this great story. I thought... You know I, I kind of you know did some research and and I just thought, wouldn't it be almost it's almost you know it's almost subversive to to make a positive story about Afghanistan at a time when Afghanistan, you know public opinion's very low, yes. people want to want to get out, you know the, the with the withdrawals you know getting closer by the second. And I thought, wouldn't it be interesting to actually show something positive? You know about a time that's not viewed in a very positive way by a lot of Americans and a lot of foreigners. Yeah.
0: Um. Because they don't even know what's really going on. But
3: also because there was a lot of mistakes made. You know, we spent yeah. you know over half a trillion dollars, and I think you know the war effort on a lot of levels hasn't been a success at all. I think yeah. you know the democracy in Karzai. Obviously, there's been huge problems. Corruption is a huge problem. You know, Afghanistan's really really tricky. And after our longest war and America's longest war, we're leaving next year. And it's not exactly an overriding success and the future's very unstable. And I thought, wouldn't it be great to do something positive that people don't know about and really yeah. make people uncomfortable about the way they feel about Afghanistan? Because I feel like we should get out. I don't want to see any more Americans... Shot in the face by Afghan police forces, which is happening all the time. I don't want any more Americans by to the die. the police
0: or the uh, Taliban or insurgents. Well, the
3: police. You know, there's all these green-on-blue attacks happening now, where the Afghan military or police are attacking foreign troops. Oh, it's happening. Wow. Uh, uh, hundreds have. Hundred. I think. I think it's actually a couple of hundred Americans have been killed, or NATO troops have been mm-hmm. killed that way. You know, it's a problem. Half the country still. Under Taliban, you know, you can't go that far out of Kabul without being safe. Kabul's a fortified city. I mean, you know, it's, there are some amazing things that have happened in terms of women's education, health, um, industry, business, you know, media, the fact that there was no media under the Taliban and now there's 75 TV stations in Afghanistan. I mean, there's been huge, huge progress, but at what price? And, you know, we don't have healthcare. We don't pay for our education for our kids. Our bridges are collapsing. I mean, America's a total mess. You know, there has to be a point when we stop spending this kind of money in in countries we may not really have business to be Mm -hmm. (laughs) in. You know, I think Iraq Mm -hmm. was obviously a disaster. Mm -hmm. But I just thought it would be really interesting uh, for me and also hopefully for an audience to make this film, so... The That's kind of where it started in the
2: film is one there's several examples where people's attitudes were changed because saad's television show uh, was it afghani idol I think the first season what happened this well, there was a female singer did she show her ankle or something or neck or something where there's, there was outrage. a show,
3: yeah there's a show called Afghan Star which is you know um, basically American Idol, and you know when it started you know under the Taliban they, you couldn't play music you couldn't have media and so it was it was you know it was really shocking to have people singing publicly but also having women contestants and so at the beginning the women were very covered if they swayed their hips you know the mullahs would there'd be outrage and death threats on the contestants and you know 11 years on it's not exactly free but it's a lot freer than it was yeah and 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 i think what's happened is people get used to something um, a new generation come, you know, the the Facebook generation kind yes. of <laughs> grows up with ten years of media, and they get a bit more used to it. They get used to seeing women on television talking with men. It, it it's still incredibly, in my opinion, backwards uh, and difficult for women. But the progress I think has been huge.
2: So I I think, like for example, Taliban's are against sports except cricket because <laughs> it's, it's the national sports of Pakistan. <laughs> so even Taliban's are not going to touch that that's and
3: hilarious
1: I, I
2: didn't know that yeah I wonder even though Taliban's are against to music and television show you're right I think masses are used to it do you think they're going to try to get rid of it it's, I think I would imagine it would be very difficult at this point don't you think Um, I'm worried because you know we had this conversation before we did this we were doing this podcast there's two schools of about yeah um Afghanistan is completely fucked <laughs> after the US military lives like possibly Taliban rule or
1: Civil going, war.
2: going back to the warlords taking control of the country where uh, Saad believe things will be okay. It will be different, but they'll be okay. I have no idea to be honest Here's <sighs>
3: the thing A, You know half of the country is is kind of how it was, mm-hmm. you know. I, it's not. It's not exactly, you know. There's, there are huge areas of the country where women aren't getting educated, where, mm-hmm. you know, th- women get acid attacks, and you know, terrible things happen if girls try to go to school. Right. Um.
2: For example, Malala in Pakistan. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
3: Yeah. But that happens in Afghanistan as well. So, you know, I think there are really big parts of the country that are still very much under the Taliban. Um,
1: right.
3: And I, I almost feel like, you know. It's, that that will that will obviously continue i don't I don't think the Taliban can come back into Kabul like they did and you know ride in in their hys and on their horses and take over and turn everything back to year zero, but I think the problem there is is there are so many factions there are warlords there are yeah you know there are so many corrupt people with power, you know there are all the poppy the poppy kings
2: oh sure um I think there's a place called heroin Row in Kabul sure, yeah it's all the <laughs> these are people supposedly making. Ten thousand or whatever dollars Highly a year, heroin but but they they're <laughs> living this half million million dollar homes, you know, and they're
3: the ugliest times you've ever yeah. seen. Yeah, <laughs> <home. laughs> <laughs> no, it's at the, you know, I think it could go anywhere. I think nobody knows what's going to happen. I think it's going to be it's really precarious what will happen, and I think next year I worry about Saad. Well, Saad's fine. You know, he's he's got you know he's got foreign passports. He's got. Places to live in other countries. I worry about the kids who don't have any choices there. That's true. You know, who, who, if something bad, you know, if civil war happens, they're all back to where they were. Um, you know, in terms of the media companies, when Tolo TV started,
2: which is uh, Sad's company, company the,
3: you know they were the first radio station and the first television station in Afghanistan. Eleven, twelve years on, there's 75 television stations in in Kabul, and I think. You know, a huge amount of them are funded by foreign money. And so when the troops start withdrawing at a rapid rate next year, I mean, they already are, the money will start drying up. And I think 75 television stations in Kabul are not going to be there in a year, two years, five years. I think TOLO is one of the only ones that's self-sustaining in terms of, or mostly self-sustaining in terms of they have advertising, they actually have marketing. But, you know, the question is, is how much of that money will stay? As if if things start to deteriorate so it's it's really a crapshoot i don't think anyone knows i think you know there's an election year next year karzai's out uh it's really going to depend on what happens with the election
2: you don't think his brother's going to take over
3: <laughs>
2: how many karzai's are there i can't even keep I know, it. but they're
3: all very 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 rich suddenly yes <laughs> you know i i, I don't know I, foams. I think it's i think it's very very tricky i'm you know i hope to be cautiously optimistic but i'm really scared for a lot of these people you know i've yeah. made friends with a lot of amazing uh, kids who are in the film and i just i really worry you know I th- you know, and it's not like they can get out i mean most of them during the taliban years were quite young and they were either in afghanistan living a hellish existence like masood you know the channel manager who was a taliban newsreader yeah. um and most of them lost family members you know it was terrible like shafi the the journalist who opens the film and then the rest of them were pretty much in refugee camps in Pakistan, which is hardly mm. a great option. I mean, you know, they've got pretty limited choices, and I think that's heartbreaking.
0: I have uh, two questions. Um, one, wh- if you could talk more about what inspired Saad to come to Afghanistan mm. to set up the media station and how that impacted uh, the culture there and also uh, any type of resistance. Yeah. that he experienced um, with the media company? I
3: think, you know, they grew up in, in, in Melbourne, in Australia, and they had a great life. They were educated. They had great jobs. They were all really successful because they're super smart with business. You know, the brothers and, and Wajma, their sister, and they were doing really well. Uh, their parents, parents
2: are just wonderful people.
3: Yeah, Saad's parents live, like, around the corner from my mom in Melbourne. Are <laughs> they friends now? No, I haven't even met them. I'm oh. dying to meet them. <laughs> they But they've seen the yeah. film, and they really like it. When I spent it.
2: time with them, um,
3: I hear they're great. <laughs> they're wonderful. The
2: dad would explain to me what Kabul was like mm. thirty, forty years mm. ago. I didn't know there's women who walk around in, in miniskirts yeah. and things like that. And that.
3: Actually, I'll come back to your question, but that's one yeah. of my favorite parts in the film. And you know, when I'm, I was I didn't really, know that. I was really happy to include Tom Preston in the film because he's such a champion of Afghanistan. He's been involved in Saad's business for a long time.
2: He's and been um, going to Afghanistan for forty years. Yeah. And for those of you, shame on you if you don't know who Tom Preston is. He used to. Uh,
3: he started MTV. Yeah, VH1. He used to be the CEO of Viacom. He's you know his. I always refer to him as you know the only nice guy media mogul in the world. He's just the the best, coolest, nicest guy. And you know, I met him through the film, and he's obviously a huge fan of what Saad does. So he was incredibly helpful with the film, and um, and it was funny because he always he always wanted to be in it, and um, I always said to him, I'm going to hold off interviewing you till the end, till we're pretty close to finishing the film, and I'll get you to fill in some holes, you know of things that mm. I need you to say. And one of the great things is in the 70s he was a hippie and he was. I have this great photo of him. Uh, he's a long-haired hippie and he went to Afghanistan, which I guess in a way the, the best thing to compare it to is Morocco now, you know, it yeah. was chic, it was exotic, it was sexy, mm-hmm. it was free, it was liberal. I mean, it makes no sense saying that now because if you know Afghanistan, it makes zero sense. You know, so there so. were beautiful bars you could drink and smoke hash and it was just very cool. And he was a had a textile business there. You know, he was a smart entrepreneurial guy, and he I Think lived he used there. to make jeans or
2: something. Yeah, no. and he
3: lived there for a long time. And and when he was telling me, you know, through my research, obviously, and also through his stories, you know, I heard about how amazing Afghanistan was. And when we when we started showing rough cuts of the films to, I just show it to colleagues just to get people's opinions and comments, you know, because we've still got time to make it better. Mm-hmm. And I hadn't yet shot Tom and. At the end, after screenings, I would say to people, did you know that in Af- Afghanistan, like in the 70s, was really chic and beautiful and cool? And nobody knew it. I mean, yeah. unless you're a journalist, nobody knew that. And so I got time to, to tell that story and we found great archival footage of, you know, women in miniskirts and kind of chic, bohemian Kabul. And also it was very beautiful. It was had beautiful homes, you know, green streets. There were trees. I mean, there's like probably, there's no trees in Kabul. I mean, Kabul's rubble. You know, it's been rebuilt, but it's not. It's not like a city. Right. I mean, there's barely any paved roads, and the ones that are there, we've paid for. Um, You know, it's 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 a bit of a mess still. And and I think Tom's contribution to one of Tom's contributions to the film is giving us like a little history lesson of Afghanistan, and I love it. Yeah, we can't say enough good things about Tom. (laughs) He's amazing. Um, Yeah,
2: he's he's one of the few CEOs. Very, I mean, one of the most successful CEOs. But he's, he's, he's good at writing interesting story for Vanity Fair, you know? Yeah.
3: And that's why he gives a shit. You know, he cares about yeah. people. Yeah. He's, not, he's not interested in hobnobbing with rich people. He actually well, gives a he, shit. And he
2: was unfairly fired from uh, Viacom, yeah. from uh, Mr. Summer Restone, because he didn't want to buy MySpace. For Boy, one.
3: did he show them. <laughs> he didn't
2: want to buy MySpace for half a billion dollars, because my understanding, Tom said, this doesn't make any sense. Unfortunately, Mr. Rupert Murdoch bought it for half a billion and then recently sold it back to someone for For like 20 cents (laughs) yeah so Tom was right even though they never thanked him and um,
3: Tom's smart and you know he's involved in Vice now which is again a a really progressive futuristic media company in a lot of ways like he's just he's a smart guy I mean he just knows what's happening next
2: I call him the modern day Gandalf because he's uh, any given moment he could be anywhere in the world helping people yeah he's Um, a good guy
3: but
0: sorry we didn't answer your question Uh, about uh, Saad why he came to bring in right. the media company and the resistance I mean
3: I, I think after the after you know the NATO forces invaded in 2001 after 9/11 a lot of Afghans wanted to come back a lot of Af- Afghans had been exiled for you know 30 years mm-hmm. or just for the Taliban period it, you know a lot of Afghans hadn't been home in a very long time and a lot of them wanted to come back and
2: I think Tom Fresno went back first time in like 20 years or something too. yeah
3: totally but you know <laughs> I think for Saad and his Saad and his you know, Saad and his brothers, I think they'd been successful in Australia. They were a little restless. Saad had already been doing a bit of exploring in the region. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, they were just like on one of the first flights back. And, you know, Saad tells a great story in the film about, you know, how the, fl- the planes were so full. They were even selling, you know, seats in the cockpit and the stewards were standing <laughs> during takeoff and landing because the planes were so packed. And, and it was very emotional. You know, a lot of Afghans hadn't been home in a long time. And also when they got back, actually Saad told me this. For so them, they didn't have all these incredible memories of Kabul because they were kids when they left. Mm. But for people like their parents, when they came back for the first time after 30 years of war, seeing the country, it was oh. heartbreaking. Yeah, it was just people were gone, friends were gone, suburbs were gone. Yeah. I mean, it was just it was just unrecognisable. And also culturally it had just gone backwards like hundreds of years. So yeah. I think for people of a certain age it was very tough. But a lot of people like Saad, who had been kids in Afghanistan, came back and thought, you know, they're – they're entrepreneurs, they're smart, they're also interested in making money and they came back and thought, Wow, we, we can we can we can do anything here and, and that's what they did. You know, they they had no media experience. I love the fact that they had no media experience and they started this company, that's now this massive company that employs like a thousand people. Wow. Um,
2: Polo, they, right? Yeah, Polo.
3: and they didn't know anything about. They didn't know, you know, and radio. I don't think was that difficult for them to set up because radio is not that tricky. But Zad says in the film, if we'd known how difficult television was, we never would have done it. I mean, they had no idea what they were getting
0: into. It's a good thing they didn't know. Yeah. It's beautiful watching them, and I like that you show that in your film—the process of how they learned literally on the job. Yeah, really. and no sure. one knew how to do anything there.
3: and They literally
2: so, yeah. drove up to hell and put a an, um, radio tower, right? Yeah,
0: they defined
3: people to build radio, uh, TV towers, you know, the mass, but nobody knew how to do it. So they defined engineers and then get them the plans and then say, Do you think you can do it? And, you know, and along the way, they created all of these people who now have really successful businesses. It's just had such an impact on the country. It's extraordinary in terms of education, in terms of changing social mores, in terms of promoting women. I I I I think it's extraordinary.
2: And the illiteracy, I don't know what's the rate but it's pretty high in Afghanistan. And
3: it's between l- Literacy now is, I believe, between 60 and 70%. I mean, it's really staggeringly Jesus. high. I think in Kabul, you don't see it as much because it's it's more educated. But, you know, still, I mean, the majority of people in Kabul probably can't read and write. But if you got into the provinces, I'd say it's in the high 90%, so, you know.
2: And there was a very um, sweet scene where kids are watching Sesame Street, oh, Afghani version of it. I love it. But what was interesting, even the adults are watching because they're trying to learn how to read and write and... Yeah.
3: I, I love that i mean sesame streets all over the world it's you know there's yeah. a palestinian version there's an israeli yeah. version there's an egyptian you know sesame street for a long time has been educating kids but definitely in afghanistan th- i think this would be one of the only places where the you know parents sit with their kids and learn to count and read and write with grover and and ernie and and uh, I, I just think it's so touching i that was such a ernie was my first love in australia when i was little i had a huge crush on ernie and um and i just i just you know seeing elmo and ernie speaking dari and pashtu and it's, it was pretty heartbreakingly beautiful i love that i think it's and also i loved the fact that the kids who had never seen these characters it's so universal they saw oh, these yeah. muppets for the first time and they loved them and it was so <laughs> great and also seeing the voice actors you know the guy in the film we, we cover grover doing um they call him kutch cole in in dari but watching him Dig Rover in Diary is just really beautiful. Mm. Yeah, I love it. I love that whole sequence.
2: So, so it's, um,
3: and that's financed by us. You know, the the U.S. Uh, embassy pays for Sesame Street.
2: Oh, is that right? Yeah, some oh. f-
3: not all programming, but there's a bunch of programming that's still heavily subsidised over there.
0: Will that continue to happen when they pull out? Know, know. No, that's really set in stone. Or yeah, yeah you know. I, I would
3: suspect it will dry
0: up. Yeah, yeah. the funding.
3: Yeah, but you know they they're. they're Uh, Tolo TV has uh, Tolo Mobi is the bigger company that Saad runs, but the whole media group, you know, they have sports drinks that sponsor them and telecommunication companies. So, you know, they're progressive business people and they know how to sustain a business. So, I think, I think over time it may shrink, but I think you know they'll they'll keep their core there. You know, they're they're pretty self sustaining, but they still rely on some subsidies. Mm.
2: I heard some Iranian government personnel are angry with Saad. Is it because some of their shows are you can watch them in Iran?
3: No they have another company so th- Rupert they've done a deal with Rupert Murdoch's company I think they who owns a big I think maybe 50% of their company now uh, oh. News Corporation has bought them bought part of them and one of their new companies is called Farsi Farsi 1 that's called Farsi one. Okay. And they beam satellite television into Iran. Oh, that's why. They're not – then that's why. I mean, if Saad could never go to Iran. So, they're based out of Dubai. And it's mainly – mainly what they do is dub things like Turkish soap operas, Indian soap operas um my my dp my cinematographer on the film abazar who's american but his parents are iranian his grandmother lives in iran and she watches she watches farsi one all the time we spend
2: time with him in southwest yeah uh, with him and you yeah uh, so his grandmother
3: watches farsi one because basically you know you have all the really boring government television in iran but everyone's got um satellite dishes on their balconies and roofs and they get this uh this satellite tv and so that's that's what that's why they hate him there because um, it's not essentially, I guess, legal.
2: And those soap operas, it's amazing. It doesn't matter what language it is. Any <laughs> woman could watch it, could figure out what's going on. Like, I'm yeah. clueless. So every night after I talk to Saad's father about uh, the history of Kabul in Afghanistan, and he's an ambassador, he's a very mm, smart man, yeah. very nice to educate me on the matter. Then after we finish dinner, Saad's mother will watch soap opera, and I'll watch it with her, and she'll explain <laughs> to me what's going on. And um,
3: Was it a Turkish one?
2: Turkish one, yeah. and there's another one after that, and man, she had encyclopedic knowledge of every, you know, I, I, it was busy <laughs> for me because I don't know who's who, but I think soap opera, I mean, we take it for granted in this country, but I think people in Afghanistan watch that, expand the women's imagination, like they sh- they probably want more out of life, like they watch other women being treated better than they are.
3: Yeah, it shows them about relationships yeah. and, it's, and it's, you know, they have this soap opera that they that I sh- that, that I show in the film um, called Raza. It's, uh, I'm not going to say the full name because my pronunciation is horrible but it's been going for a long time and it's super popular but they do a bit of messaging in it. You know, they try and show positive relationships. Yeah. You know, initially they tried and showed people wearing modern clothing, you right. know, different hairstyles. You know, they're trying to bring this population into the future essentially like into now and and I think you know that kind of programming has really helped and a lot of their stuff is messaging programming and it's really helped educate people with basic things like healthcare um healthcare education how to look after your kids how to have relationships you know how to treat your family with respect yes I think I think that's really important
2: and also show in news corruption by officials and make the masses be aware like hey they're they're stealing from you guys, you know. That, that's
3: one of the big things too, I think, that Tolo's really done a lot about. You know, they're an independent television station. They have a 24-hour news station mm-hmm. and they're not afraid to expose stories. So they do stories about corruption in the government and, you know, Saad and his family could be in a position where they're milking the government and have be doing very positive stories about them. But, you know, they're, they're, they're an independent television station. They take risks. And I think they, you know, over time they've built up... A lot of people that don't like them. A lot, you know, they have a lot of enemies. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, you know, it's a, it's a it's a dangerous place to have a business.
2: And I've been to the station many times in the last trip, and boy, security's top notch, and they have to be. And
3: yeah, I mean that just bef- yeah, God, I mean the last few years security has been deteriorating there. I think in our film we interviewed um, Hashimi, he's the head of security there, and they have like 150 people working in the security department. Yeah, um, all the expat people that work there have. You know, they have a team of security people that drive them around and and all the employees get driven, you know, to and from work and mm-hmm. uh, it's, it's no joke. I mean, just it was just just before I was there, there was an attack on the US embassy that's very close by and mm. there were rockets flying over Tolo and, you know, everyone was hiding in the basements and a rocket hit one of Tolo's buildings. Wow. Um, you know, it's no joke. It's definitely a target. I think Tolo's always been a target on, on you know, the Taliban have lists and you know it 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 fits all the descriptions it's 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 free media it's not what they want and it's also there are a bunch of expats working there, so it's yeah. always, it's always been a target but yeah, security is no joke there I mean Saad was kind enough to let us use his security team when we were there, and I was super grateful, but often we'd get around without them and you know we had some hairy hairy situations
0: <laughs> well', I mean, well cause, uh I and aren't like car bombs or not car bombs but maybe that's more Iraq. suicide bombs suicide bombs being i mean those are pretty prevalent and maybe even uh mines too right yeah. Plant mines and yeah there's a, a lot, lot of
3: suicide stuff. bombings there it's been quiet now because it's been winter but it's about to st- fighting season's about to start again but um, no. When I was there, there were suicide bombings happening. You know, oh, pretty great! Much.
2: They're going to start again when I land next uh, week. It's just about to start because yeah. it's thaw- <laughs> the
3: mountains are thawing out. <laughs> it, the Taliban go and hide in the mountains during winter, and then you know.
2: Yeah, it's true. It's this time right now. It's it's harvest time for heroin too. So there's money's going to start flowing into Kabul.
3: Yeah, but they they call it fighting season, which is pretty pretty horrible. But no, you know. See.
2: That's that, that's their version of Mad- March Madness. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Odd. it's yeah I mean I think you know Yoshi will know this it's like you know when you're out on the streets I mean we don't get around in armored vehicles or mm. often I would just get around in local taxis and without any security and you know you're you're on the streets in Kabul it's not like you can walk around particularly as a woman it's not like you just walk down the street you're always sort of in a car but you're always aware that you know a bomb could go off somewhere. And, I'm
2: such a dumb guy me and Fernando just walked around like a couple of idiots. And, uh, we well were, you
3: can and we did a lot yeah. of that as well but it's not Advisable. Yeah. Um. I mean, we spend a lot. You know, you've seen the film. We spend a lot of time on the streets. Um. Y- you know, you just you just don't want to get unlucky. I mean, I think if you get unlucky in Afghanistan, it's really fucking unlucky. I mean, we missed one suicide bombing by a couple of minutes that killed, I think, over eighty people. Oh wow. Oh Jesus. Um. That was a horror. Such a horrible day. It was Literally, like few minutes. You just yeah. It as we drove off, we heard it, and it was pretty grim. It was it was on Ashura, which is this holy day when. Shears go out and self-flagellate it's yeah and there were thousands of people on the street it was sort of a very festive kind of kind of day and we just thought it'd be great to shoot some b-roll and we spent a couple of hours there and the bomb went off just you know exactly where we'd been and a lot oh. of people died and it was god it was horrible not it wasn't about me it was just about all the people that had died and yeah. how horrible it was and you know yeah i mean you, you know it's had said to me everyone has a close call in afghanistan and um you know it happens to everyone you just don't want to end up and it's it's like when you go to the supermarket there there's there's a couple of western supermarkets in in Kabul and you know just before I got there one of them right near Tolo actually was blown up uh, by a suicide bomber and you know all the people that I know that live there go there all the time and it's it's just a matter of being lucky or unlucky and I remember always whenever I'd go to the supermarket it was just you know there wasn't a lot of lingering and chatting it was very in (laughs) and out (laughs) you know there are targets and places you don't really want to be and uh, all of the government buildings we always felt like that about um and just being on the road you know i just always felt like when you were out on the road in the streets of Kabul, particularly if there was a nato or a uh, military convoy going yeah. nearby you yeah. always wanted to hang way back because it they're targets. seems like
0: those are yeah those are big targets and drivers
3: know that the minute they see a humvee or a convoy everyone pulls back <laughs> a, lo- yeah. a long way away but it just makes you nervous and I guess the other thing, we went to the beautiful Panjshir Valley just hiking one day because we needed to get out of Kabul, and I nearly stepped on a landmine. <laughs>
1: <laughs> How did you know? How did you know? You, you saw it later? Well, actually, it's... no. Or did it go off later?
3: No, no. Um, Mustafa, who was one of our drivers from Tolo, who was awesome. Um, it's funny. We would worked with him a lot, and he didn't speak any English, but Abizar, my DP, speaks diary, and so we'd, we just got on very well. There was sort of zubaid was the security guy and mustafa was the driver that we used a lot and um it's so funny because you get to know them and you talk to them for such a long period of time but because it's a muslim country you know you never actually touch them yeah. or you know they can't touch you as a woman and we were hiking for hours up this massive mountain and it was so beautiful and mustafa came running up to me and pushed me like <gasps> he touched me which was shocking enough mm. and he pushed me and i went flying like i went flying and landed on my ass and i was and i kind of landed and i was kind of in shock and i went and he didn't speak english but i kind of went what the fuck? yeah <laughs> and he looked at me with this sheepish grin and he pointed and like two steps in front of me was a landmark
0: oh wow
3: and i was like <laughs> thank you wow <laughs> um so yeah it was funny the night before we left we had a party and we invited um we invited Mustafa and in Zibayad and when they came to the house, I said to Abizar, can you, can you ask them if I can just give them a hug <laughs>
2: <Yeah>. <laughs> now that
3: we're indoors and yeah. it's private? And it was really sweet. They let me give them a hug. Oh, and that's just, nice. You know, I just sort of felt like they'd saved my life a couple of times. And yeah. You know, they were really sweet. I actually have over on the mantelpiece um, next to my Oscar, which is not here at the minute because someone borrowed it. But I have um, on the last night, they both gave me, they wore these rings. Um, these kind of chintzy metal rings with stones in them yeah. and I thought they were like wedding rings Zubayad was married I thought it was his wedding ring and they took them off and they gave them to me as presents, they wanted me to have them. And I was Aww. saying to Abazar, Abazar, I can't take them. They're valuable. Like, yeah. I, you know, these guys have no money. And Abazar's was like, take the fucking ring. You're insulting them. And yeah. I'm like, no, I can't take yep. the ring. And he's like, take the fucking ring. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and we, you know, we gave them, like, gosh, we gave them cameras and money and clothes. And oh, good. You know, you can't give these people enough. But it's really sweet. I have their rings on my mantelpiece. I saw them. They're beautiful. It's very I was su- checking out your Emmy. Yeah, it's <laughs> sort of it's meaningful. And there's actually a stone there that Zubad gave me from. um from Panchea Valley that's got like some gemstones in it. But I don't know, stuff like that means a lot to me. You know, it really, I don't know, it's it's really nice. Having
0: human experiences with them, and especially as an outsider, quote unquote, yeah. coming in, I think, I mean, it's lovely to hear stories like that, that they are embracing of you and, and you know, the people you were with and for you to connect with them and uh, experience who they really are, and, and though they've been tormented and traumatized by war and bombings i mean to live in that kind of fear and anxiety every day we have no fucking idea what that means and for them to have that and still have those moments with you that you talk about i mean that is just so telling of what an amazing people they are yeah
3: i feel i feel really you know it's it's funny because you finish a film and I don't know. I mean, I'm just starting to take it out and show it to people now, and so it's all coming back and really in my head. And mm-hmm. I'm thinking about them all a lot. And you just feel so grateful that people let you into their lives yeah. and let you share their stories, and that their stories can impact people. And I don't know. I I just feel an incredible amount of love and and gratefulness for them for letting me tell their stories. But you know, I also feel scared for their futures and potentially heartbroken for what they have to go through. I mean, you just want to. At the end of the day, you know, it's it's such a hard thing to do. And I always come back to journalists, um, and how how they reconcile the horrors that they see with the life mm. that they leave. And it's yeah. the theme of a lot of people's work. And I don't know, I, I go through that a lot. I feel guilt and, you know, you want to do more. You know, and and, and
2: Sad, I mean, he's doing everything, whether it's drama, news, program for kids. Game shows. Yeah, yeah. and there's so many uh, amazing expats living in Kabul. I keep forgetting the teacher's name. She was in charge of drama and... Um, Trudy? Yeah, yeah. and... and yeah, she she made me teary when I was watching the movie because she really cares and she knows that her time is limited, so she's training as many yeah. young people. I mean, these kids didn't know anything in the beginning no. and. Yeah, she keeps saying these are her kids, and, and she uh, cries at the yeah. end of the film.
1: I
3: have yeah. this joke; I always say I, ma- I always make at least one person in my films cry. <laughs> I've already done that in my next film. I made someone cry on the first day, <laughs> but no, I mean at the end of the film, I think a lot of people teared up in Austin. There was a, lo- a couple of uh, of critics and reviewers said they cried in the film. You know, yeah. Trudy talks about at the end of the film. I ask, you know, a bunch of people what they think about the future, and Trudy says, you know, she's so scared for the future and she just doesn't want to see these you know these kids that she's so invested in i mean she's like a mother to them yeah, yeah. she just you know she's just worried about their future and she sort of burst into tears and it was such an emotional moment because she's such a she's such a great aussie chick and she's tough and she's yeah. you know and just to see her get that emotional was really powerful um
0: because yeah. and, and i think they mentioned that they were only supposed to stay there a few months yeah or they, they came under yeah. the impression of that oh i'm just gonna be here for a couple of months because they have their own families back home in australia and they ended up staying for a few years i think she
3: was there for three years which is remarkable and i think zahad or jade zahad's brothers once said to her you know you're an you're an an afghan now i mean she was really invested in the place and just taught so many people so many skills and and you know Andy's another great example the german general manager he's hilarious he's very funny funny. um (laughs) it was i'm sort of nervous for him to see the film actually and he read because we're you know everyone's friends on facebook now we all email each other and he read the variety i sent him the variety review and it it said that he has review it said yeah god i'm so happy my first one was a director and we got a killer variety review that was an (laughs) awesome day the only bad part about that was i the day that it came out i was in hospital on an iv with mm. morphine which we can talk about later <laughs> so i was kind of like really after 20 years i finally direct a film i get a great variety of you and i can't even like celebrate with my friends i'm like out of my brain on morphine <laughs> it was kind of a sad moment at i'm sure it's
2: from afghanistan too
3: it, absolutely <laughs> <laughs> although i try not to say that because i don't want to upset sad but um yeah it, it's, i don't know it's it's a very emotional. The whole experience was very
2: emotional for me, and um, I can only imagine because I met most of those people, mm. and um, I have a lot of respect. I th- I think they're brave, mm. you know. Like, but yeah, I'm worried. I'm I'm I don't know what else to say. I'm really worried for them, you know. Mm. And you were saying at, at least expats have opportunity to go come home, I guess. But um, God, every one of the, the Afghans that I met, they're just so kind. You know, the thing that they do. The greeting, you meet them, they mm. put their hand mm. to their chest like that. Yeah, yeah I, I don't know, I, I don't really like that. They're so friendly, it breaks it's every fine. stereotype about...
3: The only bad thing about the friendliness was, you know, the big running joke when I was there, the second time I was there for two months, and pretty much the minute I landed, I got really sick and I couldn't hold anything down, and it was really hard for me to eat. And the biggest problem with their incredible friendliness is anyone you meet invites you to their house for a, mi- for mm. a meal. <laughs> And I'd sort of say, oh, I'm really sick, I can't eat anything, but they would never accept that because that's their thing. You know, you have to come to the house, have some tea and eat some food.
2: It's just like Southern hospitality on steroids. On
3: steroids, yeah. And it was just, Abazar was really great. We were actually both pretty sick and Abazar became, my, my cinematographer became this master at... ...putting food on his plate and sort of playing with it and moving it around... ...and somehow they would believe that he'd eaten. Yeah. <laughs> but for some reason, maybe because I was more of a foreigner to I'm yeah. Yeah. really obsessed scary. with me eating. Yeah. Yeah. And so they would pile this food on them... ...and I'm basically, you know, crapping myself. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
1: While or, you're or running to the bathroom
3: to vomit. <laughs> and being force-fed. And Abizar would just sit across from me and laugh... ...because he knew the pain and, like, my, my face was green. And, you know, famously when we did the big interview with Saad at his house... I had to run out of the interview like three times and vomit. Oh.
0: <laughs> well, I think that's what's so great about you, that you were able to connect with these people and show these sides of them because you did this. You would still, despite despite you becoming physically ill from yeah. their food, yeah. understood their culture where you wanted to show immense amount of respect for them. I mean, mm. who does? who's going to put themselves on the line like that? Yeah. I mean, that's so respectful and amazing on your part to do that and to show such a positive side of them in a film, which I don't know if anyone else has ever done that, um, perhaps, but um, I think that was really touching for me, watching your film was mm-hmm. seeing, seeing such a lovely side to these people and their just their will to live, to love, to laugh to to uh, just be and I think and they're
3: smart as well yeah, yeah. that's what I love right, you know people smart. sort of think of I think Afghans as not being very smart, and I just loved that I love that it's not about religion. It's yeah. not about war and mm. I'm showing smart people who just want a chance. And to me that's what it's really that's sort of that's what really spoke to me. You know, like the young journalists and the women and Yeah. They're smart people, they just deserve a chance. And I think that's what's playing with audiences, you know, they're getting really conflicted about, Oh my god, these poor people, we have to help
0: them. Yeah.
2: They're so Exotic looking, they're beautiful.
0: They're gorgeous, right? yeah, Oh my god, their, their eyes, eyes are so hot. Their eyes are from another planet. Okay, let's just talk <laughs> about Shafi, who
3: opens the film. You know, the very handsome yeah. Yeah. Um, journalist. Who? So he's he's interesting because he's American educated post Taliban. He came here and went to college, which is why his English is so good. He's really smart, but he lived through the Taliban. You know, he was there all through the Taliban. Wow. And a friend of mine um, have, is, is going to be another name drop for you. Um, John Singleton, who's a filmmaker. When I first showed him a rough cut of the film. He was actually, he was sitting right on this sofa. And I remember after a couple of minutes into the film, cause Shafi does the, this sort of monologue at the bin, beginning of the film, yeah. kind of telling the history of the Taliban and media in the country. And John looked at me and he said, where'd you find the George Clooney of Afghanistan? <laughs> <laughs> and when, uh, I don't know if you know Matt Rosenberg who writes in the New York Times. I don't know if you met him when he no. was. Him and um, Saad uh, were in Kabul. This is months and months ago. And they'd both seen rough cuts of the film cause I'd given it to them for comments. Yeah. And I, they'd obviously both had dinner together or something because within a couple of minutes I got emails from both of them and they were they, they both said you know they caught up with each other and they were talking about me lovingly and uh, and they were they were both joking about love ha- connection oh no lovingly as in as <laughs> in warmly probably the wrong word but but they both had laughed about the fact that I'd opened the film with like you know the best looking guy in Afghanistan yeah. and how shallow I was <laughs> but I think that's really important yes. you know to show this very handsome articulate smart smart guy and i was talking to shafi obviously shafi hasn't seen the film uh he lives in dc at the minute and we'll we'll obviously do a screen you know some screenings there but um and have him along but everyone from like my the woman who's the producer at my post-production house to journalists in south by southwest the first question they ask is who is who is that guy is he single is he dating anyone where does he live (laughs) and i told shafi i've got like 50 women for him (laughs) he's
0: like george Clooney meets like who's more of a machismo guy though, with like a physical he has like more of that he's pretty handsome yeah yeah russell or something i don't know well i was introduced he has swagger for sure my friend
3: dion (laughs) who writes for the wall street journal introduced me uh to shafi because shafi had done a story for npr about media in afghanistan and he said he's probably a really great afghan who's got a good knowledge of media and he ended up really setting up the film quite well i thought yeah that um yeah it's it's uh, it's so funny uh the, the women like Shafi. i mean they're you know they're good looking people the messinis i mean gosh talk about a good looking family family i mean why the sister <laughs> yeah she's gorgeous oh when i met God. her it was like come on you Incredible. know they basically they've got beautiful olive skin great yeah. they've all got great hair and these killer eyes yeah huge. you know they i mean jade's eyes. they're incredibly handsome you know Saad's pretty charming you
2: think they're good looking you should see their kids i mean yeah they're beautiful yeah
3: i've got some of them i I,
2: I can't even categorize i mean when i when i saw them you you really can't categorize like are they white or you know it's
3: citizens of the world
2: yeah
0: (laughs) yeah they look very caucasian but you see Um, it in,
3: in afghanistan i mean it's those blue eyes i mean you just see these incredibly beautiful people yeah yeah
0: they're like a blue gray Mm-hmm. It's so interesting because you can tell like there's something different about their eyes that a, a typical Caucasian person wouldn't have. If they and have also, you eyes. know, they're tough
1: motherfuckers. Yeah. You know, yeah. it's
3: like all these you know all these people they've lived through 30 years of war, and I just feel like we're such chumps when we're. I mean, I, I just felt like such a. I felt really piss weak when I was there, you know, I was sick all the time, you know, we need security, we can't walk down the street, you know, I could never get my head scarf to stay yeah. on. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, you just saw how clutzy I was when I tried to get up before and tripped over. It's like, you know, these, these guys are, I don't know, I just, I mean, they're tough people and, you know, gosh, we live the lives we do, you know, I see a therapist, you know, I'm in and out of hospital with health issues from Afghanistan. Yeah. Hey, the therapists are good people. These people are tough, <laughs> you know, they're no joke.
2: Um, you, can I, you, sorry, go so you, you were talking about Panjshir Valley. I went there, too. And That's why
3: I brought it up, because isn't it amazing? It's it's,
2: it's beautiful, <sighs> but the thing that really struck me was the Soviet tanks are all over the place. Yeah. And I thought, how would they try to... <laughs> there's no way they were able to conquer that land. Well, Maybe Panjshir
3: is th- famous for the Taliban never... They, the Taliban never took took them over. They are the toughest motherfuckers in the country. They've got this strategic kind of mountain... So they they were all up in the mountains, and whenever anyone comes through, they just could take them out. And they mm. did that with the Russians. They did that with the Taliban. And we, so when we went hiking there, um, all these villagers came and joined us, and we all had our you know fancy Gore-Tex shoes on and jackets, and you know we were dying because of the altitude and walking mm. up this hill for like five hours. And all these kids were like skipping around in flip-flops, like doing circles around us. And this is a great story about how I never ever it was abazar used to always tease me about the fact that after three months in afghanistan i still had no clue about what was ever happening and it's hard because i didn't speak the language and he did and we were hiking up this mountain in Panjshir, which is it's like being back in time 300 years
2: didn't oh, you for find sure. that, i mean
3: there's most people don't have electricity it's very very village the sky is so blue oh it's and the river there and the fish it's it's really beautiful uh oh, it was one of my favorite places we were hiking up this hill, and this village elder sort of caught up with us. He came up after us. He looked like he was, you know, seventy-five. He was probably forty, and um, and he came up after us. And they had this long conversation in Dari with, you know, Mustafa and Zubaid, our security and driver, and Zub- and and Abazar. And then he pulled out a piece of paper and he started writing down our names, and and I turned to Abazar in my idiotic Pollyanna kind of way and said. Oh, isn't that nice? He's so interested in us. He wants to know Uh-oh. our names. And Abazar looked at me like, You are the world's biggest idiot and said, No, he's taking our names in case we don't come back for the oh. media. <laughs> and I was like, I thought this was safe here. I thought we were going somewhere safe. This is before I nearly stepped on a landmine. And um and Abazar said, well, you know, it's safe-ish. I mean, and I said, What why would we maybe not come back? And he said, I don't know, Taliban just some crazy tribal people we meet who take us out. And then, and then he, t- I think he was fucking with me, and then he said, wolves. And I got really scared about the wolves. I was like, there's wolves here. Yeah. <laughs> like, I don't want to be eaten by a wolf. And then like an hour later, you know, I got pushed out of the way of a landmine. Land <laughs> and I remember when I said to them, what the fuck, I thought you said there were no landmines here. I remember Mustafa said, well, not many. <laughs>
0: well, do they, do they go back to clean them out? I mean, is there a movement? Mm-hmm. They don't, are they just like, they find them one day? They- Come across I don't, I don't think so. Oh, I'm sure fantastic. they did some
3: demining when the military came in a long time ago. But yeah, but Panchi is amazing. I, I loved it there. I, it was such a beautiful day. It's, it's just, you feel like, it's almost like you're not on earth. It's so removed from anywhere. It's just, com- this, I mean, I'll show you photos later, but it's just, it's really spectacular. And there. I always
2: mess up his name. I said uh, Ahmed Shah Massoud. Oh yeah, yeah. He was considered a national hero of Afghanistan. He was assassinated two days before nine eleven. Yeah, he
3: was the big anti Taliban mm. leader. You know, he led the Northern Alliance, right? Yeah, yeah, and then
2: Wall Street Journal called him the man who ended the Cold War. Yeah, and, and there's uh, that
3: beautiful memorial there.
2: Yeah, I went there, and yeah. it's it's somber and beautiful. Mm. And um, yeah, basically, when he was assassinated, it was Al Qaeda's uh, sign to go on with nine eleven attack yeah, yeah. because they w- the Taliban were afraid of him. They call him the Lion of Panjshir, and um, this is like a pop culture reference, but he was kind of like the John Connor of the Terminator series <laughs> of um, <laughs> Afghanistan, because he yep. was a tough warlord, yeah. and they could not stop that yeah. guy, yeah. and um, I think that they got him two Al-Qaeda members pretending to be a journalist, yeah. re- re- him, and I think they had a bomb hidden in there. Was it the turban, or turban yeah,
3: yeah? Yeah, well, a camera. I can't remember, but yeah, it was a pretty famous story. Was it a suicide bomb? Yeah. Yeah,
2: because they, you kill him, you kill, and that fifty thousand men. That
3: was the end, and then two days later, nine eleven happened, and mm. you know, yeah, it was a yeah. But Panjshir just, Panjshir felt very different. You know, it just felt, it was somewhere that had never fallen under the Taliban, and the Untouched. people there had this real pride.
2: I think Tajik, the ethnic group, pretty much ran their whole area, mm. and. Uh, I forgot the guy. He was our um um Armbarga. Uh, I call him the mayor of Panchir because every time we pulled over, everybody would just run up to him, and hug and this kiss. This is him. Zubaid. Oh, that's it. That's this it. This
3: our guy because he was from Panchir.
2: I call him the mayor yeah, of why
3: When we went hiking, in the his mm-hmm. uh, all, all, all the village people came and hung out with us yeah. and they guns and because they were all like his relatives. Yeah, Zubaid. That's the guy whose rings on my mantelpiece.
2: He was wonderful, and he took us to a local hospital run by Europeans, Mm. and these are just amazing. Once again, I know we get bad rap with war and everything, but there's so many expats who are doing good work, and they're volunteering at this hospital in the middle of nowhere, and these women have very little knowledge about basic medical or women's health, you know, and yeah, I, I... I have so much respect for them. And the
3: problem is it's like humanity, you know, there's good and bad. You know, there's all the contractors that go there that rip off governments that to make all this money the that should waters. go to yeah. Exactly. So, you know, this is what war brings out. It brings out the best and the worst, like anything in humanity. So there's all these terrible Corporations and companies that go there and are supposed to build roads and don't and take all this money and all this corruption. And then on the other side, there are all these amazing people with NGOs or embassies or whatever that go there and actually give a shit about Afghans and invest years of their lives into trying to make things better for Afghans. And and a lot of those people end up working at TOLO for stints. And, you know, those people to me are like, you know, angels and heroes. And that's why part of the film I focus on the expats who work there because I think it's extraordinary that you – Step out of your career and go and work somewhere like that for a couple of years.
2: There's definitely no money in it. These
3: people are not doing it for the money. And, you know, it's funny because the Mussanis sometimes get criticized for having become very successful and having made a lot of money. But at the end of the day, they haven't ripped anyone off. You know, compared to the corruption in Afghanistan, they've run an honest, transparent business. Have they become wealthy from doing it? Absolutely. Do they deserve it? absolutely you know they've spent 10 12 years of their lives in that country and it will continue they've completely changed the country they've created employment for an entire generation of young people They literally
2: employ thousands of people they've
3: got like i think 800 people now yeah but you know they've really changed the culture and to me i just think you know they're great people which is why i wanted to make a pretty celebratory film about about what they do
2: and you know something happened in my life personally this week it's been really rough um oh, I'm sorry and um something that you know important for me you know um, charity and things like that kefianis mm-hmm. then Saad called me yesterday and um he's, he i don't i I can't say enough I love the guy um I I really look up to him um I respect him so much and and he's got a, such a wicked sense of humor mm-hmm. too you mm-hmm. know and um
3: He's a great guy. He's
2: just, he's incredible. I I mean, mean, I've made a lot of
3: very critical films over my career. And, you know, some people have said, you know, why didn't you have sort of criticisms of him in the film? And it's like, you know, we address the issue of propaganda in the film because they make... Programs that are sponsored by and paid for by governments to push a message, yeah. and we talk about that, and we—it's—it's it's kind of a complicated argument, and I think that's important. But at the end of the day, I think they're really good people.
2: Oh, absolutely. And I tell this—they were already successful in Australia. You know, no,
3: that's, that they're all very successful businessmen. You know, they're smart guys, but they—you know—they actually give a shit, and I love that. And for sure. I, you know, it's—it's—it's it's, it's sort of rare to come out of a film with such incredible positive feelings about someone, but you know, I feel like they're friends for life. But one of you know, one of the stories that I tell about Saad that really. I didn't know him i'd been in afghanistan it was my first time i'd been there for maybe two or three days and we were in we were kind of in the middle of nowhere in a really shitty part of afghanistan it was outside of kabul and the weather was freezing cold it was just horrible it was a really cloudy day i was pretty miserable and the sun broke through the clouds and this sort of stream of sun came out and i'd just met zard and i really didn't know him and he looked up and his face was in the sun and he just Took a moment and I was staring at him and he looked at me and he said, ah, with this big smile on his face. And it was completely genuine. And he said, ah, there's nothing like the Afghan sun on your face. And I remember looking at him thinking, are you fucking kidding me? <laughs> you know, we are standing in mud and ice. It was freezing cold. We were actually outside of a prison. I mean, it was just revolting. And I just looked at him and I thought... Man, he is an Afghan and he is happy to be home and doing what he's doing. And it really touched me. And I, I think that sort of set the benchmark of me thinking he was a good guy. I just suddenly really believed him as being authentic and giving a shit about the place.
0: Yeah, for him to be successful in Australia and to come back to his home country to do this, he definitely did not have to do this. And it, it just shows such good character and... and and also, you know, will. He, I, mean, Yoshi I mean, of knows, course, to make money, but still. I yeah, know. I think that, that wasn't, wasn't the no. uh, driving factor. And,
3: and Yoshi knows that. And I think really, honestly, they have such a sense of adventure and fun and Oh, just like Yoshi here. Right? <laughs> I mean, you know, they love doing crazy shit and going to crazy places and doing amazing things. And I think that's part of it.
2: I love his hair, like Matt <laughs> Professor. You know, he is so curious about things, Yeah. anything. He He'll go when, anywhere. He'll go anywhere. And he does go everywhere. Yeah. And he... It's infinitely curious about everyone from all over the world, and, and we'll talk
3: to anyone. And that's a sign of really smart, successful people. Yeah. And Tom Freston is the same. You know, I think I've learned a lot from them, from Tom and Sarge. You know, the answer is never no. Mm. Uh, nothing is too difficult. Yeah. You know, you always respond to people quickly. I mean, I, I you, you always notice this with really successful CEOs. They're the ones that they, they're the ones that get ten thousand emails an hour, and they answer you in instantly yeah like if i email side now he'll respond straight away and uh, and tom's the same and i find that really amazing uh and it's a real sign a sign of success i think you know i think it's people that aren't that busy that are slow and <laughs>
2: yeah, they're mean. so successful they could just both retire and do nothing oh they'll never do nothing there's just i mean son must have three or four cell phones and sometimes i catch him using two cell phones at the same time <laughs> and um i don't want to give Saad's wife's name but she's she's a beautiful wonderful person and it takes a special person to attract someone like Saad. and there's powerful couple you know and And he's a great dad yeah
3: you know uh no they're very 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 cool interesting people but they've definitely taught me a lot about being positive Mm. in the face of adversity you know i try and learn from people who are successful and powerful and i just I don't know, and they've just got such a spirit of adventure and nothing seems to knock them down. I mean, things knock them down, but they get up real quick.
2: And, you know, I <laughs> I come from lower income category and it's always intimidating meeting people like that, but it's always surprising. The more success they have, they're so inviting and they want to help you to make better of yourself, yeah. you know. And even Tom Fristian and sods of the World, they're just kind and... um they always want to learn stuff and curious what you're doing with your life and yeah. they're just i can't say enough tom fredsen salam Musseini, dexter falcons who you know journalist and on and on they're just amazing people so when people ask me are you crazy to go to afghanistan
3: well yes little, I, yes little. little. <laughs> uh, well i'm crazy i'm
2: crazy not because i go to afghanistan i'm just crazy because i'm crazy but i just think yes i could go rome i could go hawaii yeah. but you meet the most interesting place when you go with the most scary. who gets to
3: go to afghanistan yeah. and also know like the best people there i mean that's one of the things that i love about what i do i mean a lot of my friends well most of my you know i have documentary friends but most of my friends do other things and mm-hmm. before i went to afghanistan the first time i mean that was seriously freaked out for me and i was freaked out for myself and you know you try to keep it together and be together, but you're kind of terrified because you know you don't really want to die. um But I don't know. There's there's something about Afghanistan. I mean, I I had a tough time when I was there. It's not like it's a you know. I mean, yeah, you know, have spent days there, but imagine spending three months there. I mean, I if, can't imagine. <laughs> you know, when you get you know when you go to Dubai, like all you want to do is like you know have a shower, get into like a you know a, a, a sauna and like yeah. sweat out all the shit from your skin and get a facial and a manicure. And I'm not that much of a princess and like eat some proper food and sleep in a clean bed and. You know, you definitely... It, it's tough. It's a its a tough place to be. But it's almost like the longer time goes since I've been there. And, you know, I've been so immersed in the film. It's really touched me and it's really changed me. And I've been to a lot of difficult places in the world. But, you know, afghanistans it's I don't know what leader, it is. It's like... It kind of... You know, I don't... I travel a lot and I don't come back with rugs from places and things from places. But, I, you know, I came back with things from Afghanistan. It really stuck with me. There's something very meaningful about the place and and also that part of the region i mean the film that i'm about that i've just started on is about <laughs>
2: yeah can you talk a little bit about yeah, that yeah
3: i mean god I, in january I, d- I just got out of my first in, in hospital in um i've had a lot of stomach issues um since afghanistan and i was in hospital in december and in january i went to beirut for a couple of weeks to start shooting on my new film and um it's about uh gay iraqi refugees you know oh, to be wow. gay in iraq is pretty much uganda and iraq i would say are the worst places to be gay right now in the world and you know you're pretty much killed for being gay and it's a story about um my editor calls it gay argo our film (laughs) it's kind of this love story about a couple that met in iraq during the war one was a iraqi uh translator with the u.s marines Mm. and the other one was was in the iraqi military and they're both gay young kids early 20s gorgeous And they fell in love in a place, in the military and in Iraq. And one of them got out to America. He came here a couple of, uh, four years ago. He lives in Seattle. Uh, And he got out because he was an interpreter and in danger. Mm -hmm. The Americans brought him Mm -hmm. out. His boyfriend uh, was stuck in the military in Iraq. But they thought they'd be able to get him out here. And he was outed in the military. (gasps) And his family came to kill him. Oh,
1: no. uh,
3: There's this activist who works. Out of the U.S. and helped him get to Beirut. It's very hard to travel on an Iraqi passport. I mean, no one wants you. One of the few places you can get to is uh, is Lebanon. And after thirty days on a tourist visa, you go underground as an illegal, and it's a tricky place to be illegal, right? Uh, particularly now with what's happening in Syria, because there is so many refugees now that the government is kind of trying to get rid of anyone who's not legal. Mm. Uh, so he lives there in constant danger. He's been there for two years. You know, has this shit illegal job. Lives in this you know hellhole kind of. And he's been having a lot of trouble with the UNHCR Trying to get refugee status in America America amazingly takes the most gay refugees Out of any other country in the world Which I most don't people that. don't know And that was very spearheaded by Hillary So I want to tell that part of the story in oh, the film as well But so Batu, this character, has the boyfriend has been stuck in, uh, in Lebanon And a bunch of activists are trying to work out how to get him here And all they <laughs> want to do is get him here, live together, get married, and have babies. (laughs) Which is kind of pretty subversive. You know, there are a couple of Muslim boys from a pretty uh, crazy country. So it's sort of that story. And then there's a much bigger story about the military and don't ask, don't tell. And it's it's a really, it's a very, very beautiful story. And these people have become really good friends. I mean, we travelled to Beirut and spent a lot of time there and, you know, Nayef, who lives in Seattle, who's the ex-interpreter, is, is just is fantastic. I was just talking to him yesterday and, you know, but he's heartbroken. I mean, he hasn't lived with his boyfriend for four years and they're mm. incredibly in love and what he did was he sent him an iPad and um, and they got him uh, internet installed in his apartment. They paid for it and they actually live this virtual life through FaceTime. Yeah. Like when he's at home, he just has his boyfriend live on the TV all the time. They kind of, you know, obviously the hours are very different but they go to bed and wake up in the morning together, and it's this really incredibly touching, oh. beautiful film. And, you know, when I was there, um, Batu lives with Jilan, who's another gay Iraqi who's trying to get refugee status, he has got a horrible story as well. It's just heartbreaking. And, you know, we hung out and I took them out. I took them to the beach and, you know, we, we did some really fun things together. We went to an illegal gay bear nightclub in Beirut. Ooh, Cold Wolf. fun. It was like the worst night of my life. <laughs> mm. <laughs> Why? Um, can you picture, like, illegal... Favorite <laughs> bear, gay. I mean, it was it was rough. Sounds pretty safe to me. I don't know. Yeah, and I really fit in, like blended right in. Fantastic. After about an, I only went because I thought I could film, and they wouldn't let me film. So after about an hour, I was like, "Boys, do you mind if I get out of here? This is not for me." <laughs> um, I don't
2: know. It's, there's it's, some weird because <laughs> in, in theory, if you don't have a job and money, you can't get married. So there's this weird thing where they have gay sexual intercourse with obviously men on men in mm. pakistan afghanistan mm. but they're not gay they're not gay but because they can not get because their their social station is it's not like high like men in prison
0: well and also
3: also you know in fundamental muslim countries when you can't really date women before you marry a lot of people have you know man on man sex mm. as well because it's kind of all they can get but in this situation a lot of the gay a lot of the guys were gay you know they had strong yeah. feelings towards men but they were told that that was you know
2: okay no not, not okay, okay at all no. that they was, s- it
3: was disgusting and they were terrible people and that yeah. they would be killed and so they sort of grew up with this kind of sense of just desperation and knowing that that a lot of them were either married or or promised to marry someone yeah. and engage to somebody and they couldn't come out there and a lot of them you know they get here and then they can kind of kind of come out but a lot yeah. of them can't it's a really tricky heartbreaking story and they just want to live their lives and and again a lot of these people have been through so much war and tragedy and and then it's like, plus they're persecuted for their sexuality. It's, yeah. it's a really, I think it's a really important story. And I think a lot of people don't know about it. And these guys are all really brave and want to talk. So that's kind of my next crazy project. That's wonderful. Yeah, I'm, I'm really moved. I'm incredibly moved by it, actually. And, and it's a love yeah. story.
0: That. yeah so I've, been so I've been sort of calling it this <laughs>
3: fucked up romeo and juliet story but my editor would you make
0: cry in this one?
3: <laughs> oh, i made batu cry over facetime <laughs> the minute i spoke to him within about three seconds i just said what's it like for you in in we were in seattle at naif's house mm-hmm. and he had batu live you know via the internet on yeah. tv and i said to him you know what's it like and he doesn't speak english so naif was translating he speaks arabic and um and I said, what's it, what's it been like for you the last few years living in Beirut? And he just, and he, to see, like, he's quite a manly, I mean, Jesus, he was a sergeant in the fucking Iraqi army. I yeah. mean, this guy's a man, but, you know, he's gay. Yeah, <laughs> It's really funny because he switches between being really manly, but after, when I met him in Beirut after a couple of days, he was so skipping down the street, holding my hand and really, really so sweet and gentle, but, you know, he's a tough guy and, Seeing this guy just burst into tears and not being able to speak was was beyond heartbreaking. I I
2: think this is so great because, once again, average American watch things about Middle East and and Afghanistan. They just think they're all terrorists and they don't have any feelings and they just hate Americans. But, I mean, really, if you take the language and religion away for a moment, just like anyone else, mm-hmm. you know, they're and just people.
3: And what's great, you know, I cut together a teaser because I'm just financing the film at the minute, and people want to see the characters. And I was showing some colleagues, and they said, you know, what's amazing about this story is, is they look like these guys. I mean, they're really handsome, and I'll show you them later. They're really good looking. They're sort of the poster boys for this whole gay Middle Eastern thing. And and the, because they're out and they want to talk about it, I think it's quite tremendous the access yeah. they have. But they're brave but you know to to the average american like a friend of mine said god they i mean they look like terrorists but there they are touching and kissing each other and it's really subversive and when i was in beirut um i was introduced to a guy who's pretty prominent in business and politics in lebanon and we spent a day together with his family and he was so great and he asked me about the film and i told him the story and he was i mean he had his hand over his mouth just in shock he couldn't believe what i was telling him and and then he said, "Oh my God, you're so going to get a fatwa slapped on you for this film." <laughs> and I said, "He is hoping. <laughs> Great for publicity. It work for Salman Rushdie, but it's it's very controversial. I mean, you know, you, they they're, they're very, you know, they're like gay men. You know, they touch each other, they kiss, they talk about wanting to have babies together. I mean, Jesus,
0: you know, it's creating a life together.
3: That's yeah. that's pretty subversive in a, in in." in strict Muslim culture. Well, yeah,
0: I saw I saw something recently on Vice.com, actually, about uh, Iraqis and uh, after Saddam's reign. or That was the focus of it. And the last part of it was talking to a gay man and his life in Iraq. And he mentioned how, um, obviously, it's very bad for him to be gay. His friends, all of his friends had been killed. Yeah. All of his friends. And he has pictures of them just in the last couple years just killed and one um military officer or someone who's in the military is gay um and this guy i think i don't know i forget what he would do what i don't know if he was a journalist himself that was being interviewed but this military man knew this guy's gay so he would have sex with him but of course this guy cannot out the military man or he'd be they would both be killed mm-hmm. but then then that same military man had to come after him mm-hmm. and his friends and mm-hmm. I mean just that kind of contradictory life, living double lives and all this man wants to do is to live his own life as a gay man and now just uh, torn between not in that world. country you cannot yeah. but just and once again the hypocrisy though the man who is gay in the military siding with the people who he has to go kill other men who are outed and he himself is gay like and the,
3: the other thing that's amazing is, you know... ...having spent time with these guys in Beirut... ...they've been through so much. I mean, one of the characters' father was killed because he was gay... ...they came after him and he escaped and they killed his father. I mean, what a thing to live with when you're like... ...you know, a young man in your yeah. early 20s. He's been told what you are is shit, you know. And he's quite femme, this guy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He likes to dress up as a woman and... ...and, and also, you know, oh, I mean, God, he cried in his interview. I mean, he was like gang raped by a bunch of his brother's friends... ...when he was 17 they brutalised him. I mean, these guys have been through the worst of the worst and they just have this incredible sense of joy and life i mean clearly they're traumatized and there are things that they have to deal with and i actually hooked them up with an organization in beirut that offers free therapy I was like guys you need therapy and, oh, and it's weird. not something culturally that they used to mm-hmm. and it was so funny they're like oh I don't know that we need therapy and I'm like guys I've got a therapist trust me you need a therapist <laughs> and
1: they're like what? I'm a
0: therapist trust they're me you need a therapist but they're like why would you need a
3: therapist and I was like I'm fucking crazy <laughs> <laughs> but it was really um you know it was, it was just touching and it's that thing where you just tr- you know you're just trying to share people's stories so people become more sensitive to things and yeah. you know I came back from that trip and I was pretty just emotionally ruined as well. Like I just want to help these guys. I just want want to get them here so they can live a life. Wow. We wow.
2: went a couple just a couple more things yeah. um, quickly. Um, I, I, I was curious your opinion on Zero Dark Thirty.
3: <laughs> Not a fan. No, I, either. I Thank you I w- it was really funny actually. I watched it um I watched it really early before any of the articles came out criticizing okay. it. And I watched it here and I remember I did a double take and just thought, did they just did they just do that? And then I watched it again. Mm. I just found... I'm a huge Catherine Bigelow fan. I think she's fantastic. Oh, yeah. You know, I loved um, her Locker. She's in Tough Feel. I, I think she's great. And, yeah. I, you know, obviously I want <clears throat> to promote and support women directors. I mean, she's fantastic. I just couldn't believe that they 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 made the implication that key information about finding Bin Laden was gained through torture. And no matter all the arguments that have been presented, at the end of the day, yeah. they did that. And I just think I watched the film and thought, Jesus, you know, kids around America are going to watch this film and be like,
0: "Yeah, yep. torturing Arabs, yeah. yeah, it gets results." And he's we the, heard that in the movie theater. Yoshi and I saw it, and it drives
3: version. me fucking nuts because I spent you know years of my life on Taxi: The Dark Side, which is about the fact that it doesn't work. You know, it's fact. I mean, Jesus, Israeli Mossad agents agree that torture doesn't work, you don't get the information. What you get is the wrong information that starts wars like fucking Iraq that we should have never gone into.
2: I mean if you beat somebody enough long enough, they'll say something. Yeah. Probably and, not even true. And
3: but. it bothered me on a bunch of levels. It bothered mm-hmm. me that they Mark Boll and Catherine Bigelow's defense was it's a movie, not a documentary. Then don't make a movie about the biggest event that's happened in the last fifty yeah. years in America and say at the beginning of the film based on real events. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, then call him Osama Finn Baden. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. I mean, you just you can't do that. Exactly. And also, I get it. I get why they did it story wise in terms yeah. of writer, but Mark Bowles is a journalist. I think they could have made it equally, if not more, compelling, had they have had they have had some dissension between the CIA officers who were committing torture and some of them having reservations. Yeah. They could have included some of the fallout that was happening. I just you know, and and the other the, the other really lame comment that I read Catherine Bigelow saying was, you know, she said she said no. In the film, they don't the guy doesn't give the information when he's being tortured. He gives it over hummus. You know, they're having lunch with him, and it's like After because he's because been because he's just been in a fucking box <laughs> yeah. and had the living daylights beaten out of him. It's like that. Uh, the fact that she even said that makes me kind of appalled. I just think you have a moral responsibility yes. when you're telling a true story. I think you can. You know, like the, um, you know, the lead character played by, you know, what's her name, Jessica Chastain. Sure, she's an amalgam of a bunch of different people. Like, I don't think that matters. That doesn't have a moral implication. But you can't, the one moral issue in that, in that whole story is, does torture work? America allowed torture. It changed everything about the rule of law in this country and the Mm. history and the the future of war Mm. in the world and that's the big moral issue is does torture work and it's inconclusive it's conclusive that it doesn't yeah and they change that and i just think
0: to me well because it's it's all about killing osama bin Laden, who's the big number one criminal or you know uh, target in the world so it ju- definitely show that this movie was made to show that it justifies this because no matter what we do doesn't matter because this guy 9-11 did all these bad things so yeah it's like fighting yeah, fire it made me fire. so
3: angry i just i thought it was so fucking irresponsible and i just I, I just couldn't believe that that's what they did. I was so excited. Thank to see you. I'm I, I so
0: happy to hear mm. that because I felt the same way, and I thought well, there was a lot I, of
3: fallout, but it's I, just
0: it was just. I mean, it felt like watching uh, that felt like propaganda. It's like what is it this? It felt shit? like it was a
3: CIA, yeah, CIA yeah. Finance pat, movie. Pat
0: yourself on the back, yeah, while you're at it, and then and then once again, let's just keep showing that America's number one. America's number one. And,
3: and the thing is too that you know there's a lot of articles written about it. I think a lot of educated people understand. The problems with that film the problem for me is is that the average kid on the street doesn't read Salon, no. salon.com or huffington post or you know hear the sort of stuff we're talking about mm-hmm. and so you know most people and or they don't read all the books like i've read four books about bin laden and, and the capture of bin laden because i'm interested in that and i find that really interesting mm-hmm. most people don't most people will get their information about what happened with bin laden from this movie exactly. and the takeaway from this movie is torture works and i think that that's just I mean, it's it's incomprehensibly awful. It's guess.
2: it's movie or from video games, and I kid you not, kids get most of that information about Arabs through video games, and um, yeah. Um.
3: Which is why I'm making all these, you know, crazy. I'm a nice Jewish girl from Australia, and I find myself making all of these films that are sort of promoting a new understanding of Muslim culture, and I think that's kind of bizarre, but really important. And it, that's probably because of you know where I come from and the fact that my family were persecuted, you know, during the Second World War. And yeah. I don't know. I just feel like. There's all this racism and bigotry, and it's got to stop.
2: What's What's that? Um. So when when is your movie nationwide? Um
3: we're just we're just working out a deal now with distributors. I wouldn't go nationwide. I don't think uh. it's going to be that. <laughs> it's not a Michael Moore film, you know. It's, I think it always. Well, be. we it's hope it'll go nationwide. I think it'll, You know, I think ultimately it will um, have a small theatrical release in you know key cities, and then uh, you know VOD. It'll be available widely on VOD, and then you know American television as well, and same throughout the world. But i I'd, I'd be saying October-ish.
2: I hope you get on Daily Show or Colbert Report or something, and, and you know promote your movie and. Um
3: I'll be whoring myself out there. <laughs> <laughs>
2: what's what's the website again for that? Um I don't
3: even have. Just follow me on Twitter. Oh okay. Just at Eva Orner. That's the best way to do it, or at the Network Movie. Okay. That's, that's where we're at in a minute.
2: Um, gosh, I, I I I can't thank you enough. thank no. oh, you. Did, 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 did you have a question?
0: Well, or? I just wanted to. If there's anything else you wanted to say, Yoshi, in regards oh, um, to like, like, talking like, about the charity or like with like, Ava um, and your connection. About your, your trip. And your it's, personal it's,
2: it's, con- it's, it's, connection. It's not my charity, but, um, I, you know, I, like I said, I went to Afghanistan as a vacation, and you know, it sounds absurd, but...
3: No, I know. You emailed me, and you said, what should I do? I'm going to Afghanistan for a holiday, and I said, are you fucking nuts? Like, <laughs> I don't know. We're, like, we're, There's no tourist places. Like, what are you going to do? You go to a museum? Yeah, they haven't
0: really established a tourist program yet. <laughs> I
2: had a, such I was kind
0: shocked, actually. I was like, you ain't out of your mind. <laughs> well, Dexter
2: said the same thing, too. Don't go. Did he? But he thought it was, like, it's, it's really dangerous, you know, but as <laughs> soon as I landed, I was so... Ex- the the I, I was so excited. I couldn't sleep. I mean... I don't know why. I just keep thinking, like, there's so many different ways to get killed in Afghanistan. What a <laughs> what an interesting, exciting place! And and um, all the expats and and all the Afghans that I met, I, I had a wonderful time there. I really love the country and I love the people there. And um,
3: and you're going back. You're doing something for Sarah's charity,
2: right? Sarah we were, but there was a little hiccup. hiccup. So hopefully, when I do come back again, I hope. Um, you know, I I know guys like. George Clooney of the world get a lot of flack for, you know, he's, he's doing it to promote himself, helping people in Sudan and things like that. But I don't even care if you're a famous person and you, you're you're willing to help people in that part of the world. I don't even care what the reason why you're doing it, what, what motivates you to do it. As long as you're doing it, that's great. I so, completely
3: agree. I think when people mm-hmm. give celebrities slack, for doing something good it's like 99 percent of celebrities do nothing mm-hmm. and yeah. have this insane amount of money that they don't exer- deserve yeah. Yeah. and so someone like angelina jolly or george Clooney, they're so easy to to make fun of because of what they do and it's kind of like are you out of your mind they donate tons of money to charity look, time. What, look what brad pitt did for new orleans yes. yeah unbelievable yeah. angelina jolly by putting her face on i don't know what is that what organization is she with uh I don't know. Um, she's an UNIF or something, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and she, yeah. she, she's the commission. She's on, you know, a representative for refugees. Yeah. She goes to Bosnia, or she goes to Afghanistan, All millions of people who've never looked at that place, never read an article about that place, are suddenly interested because she looks chic there or something. I couldn't give a shit as long as she's attracting attention to it. I think it's brilliant. Yeah.
2: Ben Affleck's doing stuff in Congo. Oh my god, uh, he's Dhammy's amazing. Doing with water. And uh, Natalie Portman at Kiva.com dot and.
3: I, I just think there should just be more of it they've got tons of money they've actually got quite a lot of time mm. and I think a lot of them are really smart I, I think there's nothing better I mean it's a, yeah it's I'm, strict, a, par- I'm you know. a pragmatist as, as yeah. long as they're
2: doing it I don't care why if they're getting taxed I don't care just do it no I know. don't
3: I, 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 yeah. I'm i not even cynical enough to believe that. Yeah. I actually think there's some, the, you know the ones we've mentioned are all highly smart people they, really care, smart. they yeah. Yeah. Really, really care about those things they actually give a shit and they really yeah. commit and make a choice in their lives to do something and you know Gosh, I think what they do is extraordinary. And I really do believe that they can make people who never look at a country look at it in a different way. And that's kind of what I try and do, I'm trying to do with the Afghanistan film and and also the Iraq film is just show a different side to a country uh, and a very human side. Mm -hmm. And also something that you can relate to, I think you said it earlier, they're just like us. And that's the thing, you know, when you watch the network, you look at these kids and you think, shit, they're just like us. And I don't think anyone's ever thought about, really looked at Afghanistan through a film and thought, they're just like us.
2: They're, 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 they're amazing. And um,
0: Well, that's why I think also, I'm so sorry, but it's, movies like Zero Dark Thirty can be detrimental to that mm-hmm. image because it shows, no, they're not like us and they deserve to be tortured. Yeah. And that's not a message that we want to send to people. Yeah, yeah. they're animals. They d- you know, It's like, uh, no, we're all on this planet t- together. We're all made of the same shit. We're all one. I mean, not to sound too hippie-ish, but we are. We and to show connection is much more powerful, and will be much more rewarding. Hopefully, as you're doing with your movies and Yoshi, just uh, hopefully you'll be able to interview people there uh, while you're there and, yeah. and get some stories from people too.
2: My my friend Sarah Jean and um, Jessica Lamb, who lives in UK, going to Oxford right now. I was helping them to bring somebody over there to help bring out high profile, and uh, it, it just didn't work out. I'm still going to go and it's it's i I hate to say this but people who work and live in afghanistan used to bad news and uh, disaster but they always come back and um, i'm not really used to it Mm. Um, i'm still recovering from working on michael dukakis campaign 1988. (laughs) so i'm not trying to be cynical but it's so easy to be cynical you know i don't Mm. i don't i don't want to be that guy it's really hard but um, i'm still going to go um this coming wednesday I'll, I'll land afghanistan april 15th and um when i do come back um what little connection i have in show business i i'm, I'm just whoring myself like hey if you have a free time like sarah jean and jessica's organization uh, one women a, a year.org they're trying to raise money and send girls to oxford yeah
3: it's amazing
2: and then uh, there's also a skate stand where they're um, um, uh, like amusement park and skate park for kids, you know, because it just sounds corny, but I think...
3: No, skater scans had a huge impact. It's yeah. a fantastic program.
2: Yeah, and, mm. and, and last September this, they sent a suicide bomber to kill a bunch of kids, know, and they really, really break my heart. Oh. So.
3: I think one of the girl skaters was killed, one of the young yeah, girls. And it, yeah, it was heartbreaking. I met those guys when I was there. They're very cool.
2: So my brother uh, is a professional skateboarder, so he sent me a board, so I'm going to take it to them. And oh. uh, I, I really want to do... St- st- stuff for them and um yeah that's
3: the thing you start when you start meeting these people you know you get to this point you just want to you just you just wish you had this money that you you just want to send them things you want to give them things, you want to do things for them and that's sort of what i find myself stuck in and and it's funny because i was telling you i'm helping one of the girls who's now who's in my film who's now left afghanistan and is in a refugee camp in the netherlands and i said you know can i send you money can i send you clothes what do you need know it's winter there she said no no we just want your help you know, send me part of the film, write me a letter, you know, help us write this article. And it's sort of like, you know, and I'm like, really, can I send you money? And I don't have like tons of free spare money, you know, I make documentaries, but I'm like, what can I do to help you? And, and they're like, just tell our story. Mm. And that's, God, it breaks your heart, because you're just like, no, I want to do more. And I think that's where the celebrities are really great, because they raise awareness, they raise money, and they tell people stories. Yeah,
2: I, I think most average person, Will follow that issue because it's a superficial, superficial reason. But once again, you and I and Lilith we don't care why you're helping and why you're interested. Just help. Yeah. And um, and your movie, I I don't even think you know how much it's gonna help them. Mm-hmm. I, I think I don't think I think years from now, you know, I think both of those movies. Um, it's gonna it's gonna be like the Godfather 1 and 2 of a uh, documentary the problem
3: with documentaries is you know people don't watch them as much as you want them to and often yeah. you're preaching to the converted you know smart people watch documentaries and yeah. what, you actually want the masses to watch them and I guess this film also, the, the thing that I like about the network is I think it will sell very well in educational institutions. Yeah. I've already been approached by tons of colleges and schools to come oh and talk bad. and show the film there and I think that's really important. I think it's about educating young people about these issues. Yes, And I think if a kid or someone in college saw the network, it would completely change their attitude to Afghanistan at yeah. a young age and I think that's really important.
2: I, I just hope some famous star will champion it because you know we
3: need Angelina Jolie to come on board and be the executive producer right (laughs) well that stuff happens all the time with films so you know you never know know. you never know and Saad's pretty hooked up Preston's pretty hooked up we'll see what we can do (laughs) yeah
2: and um, please um, I want everyone to watch the movie and um, follow um, Abel's Twitter account yeah.
0: which we'll we'll, I'll, we'll put on the website yeah
3: so and I'll come back we'll when the film on.
2: comes out and bore you all with more stories oh, I, I just
1: invited
2: yeah. myself back <laughs> I, I hope you get nominated for Oscar and I have I nothing but about that. I just wish you nothing but the best because you, this is so important and you know I, I just that soft power you know this movies like this and then science media and all the expat kids just sacrifice and all the brave Afghans helping um to make the country a better place. And Saad told me something interesting. He, he told me basically between twenty five to 50,000 are members of Taliban. That's it.
3: It's small. The Taliban are small.
2: Of country of 40 million, they're, you know, it's just... It's uh,
3: small, and they're not that effective, and nobody wants them back. Very few people want them back. But, you know, crazy shit happens. Mm. I don't think they'll come back. I don't think that's the big fear. I, think, I, I just think there are so many difficult things they have to overcome. We'll keep our fingers crossed.
2: Yeah. Um, just everyone have a, a little bit of flicker of hope and uh, hope and um you know, just uh, support the people there. And yeah, I, I thank you. But thanks for doing thank this podcast. You. And, so uh, much. we, we love you and we admire you and thank you for Oh
3: any excuse to talk about myself. Yeah.
2: <laughs> All right everyone, please watch her movie and uh, follow her on Twitter account and um anything you can to help. Red Cross, you you know Skate Stand and uh, One Women a Please help them because um, um, I was very sad this week. I, I'm not gonna lie to you; it, it really was um, hard. But um, I, I feel better today, and I'm starting calling people up and say, um, "Please help!" And uh, I'm gonna get one of these Hollywood stars, you know, sucker them into uh, helping us with it. And um, I hope um, we could help them. All right. Thank you everyone. Hope
0: you're still alive right now, Yoshi. Love you. (laughs) Thanks. Thanks everyone. Thank you.